Welcome to Awards Radar, the podcast, a weekly discussion of the awards races, Hollywood news, and the films you should have on your radar. Here's your host, Joey Magidson. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Awards Radar podcast, our 99th episode. Next, Next up is probably episode 100, somewhat TBD there. We may stretch it out and just prolong the... Uh, a pleasure, but in all likelihood, something relating to episode 100 will be next. So, last chance to tell us if you want something. Though, so, you know, keep your expectations low at this point for new picks. But uh, for now, uh, Miles and I are here. We've got a couple of things on the agenda, and uh, hopefully, you'll enjoy. So, first up, Miles is here. Oh, hi. Yeah, I'm here. There you are. Um, we uh, we're gonna, we a couple of things I saw last week. You saw over the weekend, so we'll talk about that. Um, I'll whet your appetite. We're going to fix DC and Warner Brothers in a little bit. So, you know, they can't do it, so we will. And Which makes um, us unique because nobody else on the internet has any ideas or suggestions about what DC should do with their film slate. That's true, but we're going to not call anyone cuck, so that'll separate us from the pack at least a little bit. A little bit. Yeah, maybe more than a little bit, sadly. Um, and um, also, we will... Um, start off by actually talking a little bit about food because I just came from a kind of unique event. Um, normally, I do mostly, obviously, the, uh, the film FYC events. There was an Emmy one for Top Chef, which uh, neither Miles nor myself watches. So, cool. But if any of you watch Top Chef, you'd probably be very excited to know that um, I went to the restaurant that the most recent winner um, works at and he made the food that won Top Chef this past season. So that was apparently, for the people who were fans of it who were there, um, some of the other writers that I know, they were very, very excited about this. The food was amazing. Even, I'm not really a drinker, and even like the wine pairing was very good, so I'm I'm in a food mood, so I wanted to uh, talk to Miles a little bit about food real quick, and we're going to do a kind of Mount Rushmore thing, because we, we, we have another one coming later in a question, so I wanted to um, talk a little bit about food. So not about this stuff, but for anyone who uh, is curious, I think by the time this goes up, I'll have Instagrammed the event. Um, anyone who wants to know if Padma Lakshmi is nice, she's very nice. Chatted with her for a lot. Budala was very nice as well. But um, since I had like a really fancy meal, Miles, what's the fanciest meal you've ever had? Oh, Jesus. Um... That's a tough one. Notoriously not a real food guy, I believe, right? Um, not necessarily. I like I like a good meal. I don't have that many fancy meals, I wouldn't say. I probably have had something like when I was on vacation with my family or something yeah. like that. Um From from what I understood at your wedding, you have some some things you're not a fan of though. Uh from my wedding. Didn't they make fun of you for not eating vegetables or something like that? Uh, well, my dad made fun of me for not eating <laughs> vegetables before I hit double digits, but I mean, <laughs> well, he it's sure not a, it it's not a recent toast. state of affairs. Oh, so it's the greatest hits. Yeah, it, it was. That was a when I was a kid, I was notoriously picky about everything, including vegetables. There's some things I still won't eat, like I can't do mashed potatoes because the texture just makes me gag, um, okay. or like or like cauliflower and like stuff like that. But I, I, I feel I've expanded my palate. I'll tell you what I do love now that I'm in. Um, uh, New Mexico, they put green chilies on everything, and once you start experimenting with that, oh my god, 
it helps that I've sort of come around to spicy food in a big way in the past year. So I'm a big yeah. fan of, uh, oh, I'm trying to think of something. I mean, they'll put it on your burgers. They'll put it on your burritos, the pizza, whatever you can think of. You can get green chili on it. Um, as long as I can still taste the food, I'm into it. I, I'm, I'm very it, much it's a good. guy when it comes to spice. It, it's not horrendously spicy. It's much more flavorful. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, when I, I I make I make Indian food periodically, and I will go and buy like you know spicy spicy peppers, but can't be can't be the ones that are meant to like cause pain. It just stops being fun. Sure. But if I can taste the food, I'm I'm good. Um, so yeah, if you can think of one specific meal, um, that would count as like the classiest meal or the or the fanciest or just the like decadent, however you want to define. Yeah, it. yeah. I'm trying. I mean. It's not really the fanciest, but something that pops into mind that for the longest time was like my favorite thing. Uh, they had it in uh, the Japan area of Epcot in Disneyland. Mm. Uh, and it's uh, this meal called kushiyaki. And really, it's just like beef, chicken and shrimp, like drowned in teriyaki sauce and like seasoned huh. and sort of, you know, grilled and cooked in such a way. But at the yeah. time, that was like because I don't know, I guess I just didn't have that much Asian food at the time, so it really well, kind of yeah. blew me away. Um, and I've been I, I've been searching for that high ever since. Nice. I uh, I actually was at Epcot with uh, with my ex when we went to your wedding when we did our, our Miami jo- our Orlando joint beforehand, and actually didn't end up getting anything to eat. We went on Mission Space and then decided to go out to eat elsewhere. Uh, but I wanted to look and like see because I know it's notorious, but it is. I think it's very much like. Except for some of the restaurants, if you're if you like food, you've probably had what they're offering there already. But as like an intro into like higher end food, sometimes that that some of the things that they they had listed there were pretty good. Um, yeah, um, yeah. No, I've I've had. I mean, for my birthday, I went to a, an absurdly expensive restaurant in Manhattan that might be one of my favorites. This thing tonight was amazing, but I mean, it. it yeah, like also on vacation, food is also somehow always better. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, what's the like lowest end food that you like the best? Like either fast food or like if you're you know a big fan of spam, just like something that's thought of as garbage but you love. Ooh, I mean, I do have like an unreasonable obsession with Panda Express. Like I don't know why, Fair. but like <laughs> like not even just like Chinese food in general. Although I do like Chinese food in general, but, but specifically, it's Panda. like I get a craving for Panda very specifically. Something about their orange chicken is just like I'm never oh, I'm never like, not in the mood for it. Yeah, that's their thing. Uh, the the fast food podcast I listen to, Doughboys, the one I interviewed Mike Mitchell for. Uh, not for that, but he's that's one of the things he does when I interviewed him for the um, the Tomorrow War. Um, yeah, they just they did an episode at one point on that, and that is their like highlight menu item, I think. Um, yeah, no, I, I mean I love fast food. I know it's gonna kill me, but you know there's something to be said for like McDonald's doesn't taste like food; it tastes like McDonald's. If that makes sense? Oh, totally. Yeah, like uh, a McDonald's hamburger is not a hamburger; it's a McDonald's hamburger. Their chicken nuggets are chicken nuggets. It's McDonald's chicken nuggets. It's its own amorphous blob, but. It's a taste you want. Um, to that end, if we were going to make the your own Mount Rushmore of fast food items. Items. Okay. What so so the, the Panda Express orange chicken would be one for you. For sure. Uh, I'll, now, do you, you can do four meals or you can do 
You know what? I'll let you well, do four foods like that. I don't think we need meals because if we're talking fast food, ninety percent of meals is just the thing plus fries and a soda. Well, yeah, you can you can select your fries and a soda from wherever you want as an addendum. So you can have four things plus the oh fries plus here. okay okay that's fair. Or if you want to do like onion rings instead of fries or crinkle cut fries, you know you can specify. Well, I'll, I'll tell you that right now. My favorite is uh, curly fries, curly fries or waffle fries. That's where I'm at. Right. Like if they're seasoned you have a spot though. Um, let me think. Checkers does a very good seasoned fries. Checkers does. Arby's actually does really good um, curly fries and waffle fries. Yeah. Um, I mean, my fry would either have to be the McDonald's French fry, old classic standby, or the uh, the Nathan's Grinkle Cut French fry. Okay, right on. Listen, listen to my interview with Billy Crystal for him just gazing off into the distance and saying Grinkle Cut French fries when we were talking about me living in Coney Island. So <laughs> Billy Crystal approved. Um, what about the drink? Because I will say the McDonald's Fountain Coke. Okay. And I, I, will, I, will, I will second that, but slight variation. Uh, something about the McDonald's Diet Coke. I don't know what yeah. it is, but it tastes tangibly different than the Diet Coke at like pretty much anywhere else you go. Like well, the Burger the King answer. Diet Coke is always slightly off yeah. for some reason. I, I know the answer to this, actually. Which is why my answer is right, too. I'll also say the side note to this is if you want to go a little out there, since we kind of picked the same thing. Um, Waffle House, if you get their Coke and you have them put the cherry syrup in it, like a pump and a half, that's amazing. Um, the reason McDonald's Coke and Diet Coke is better is because their syrup doesn't come in the pouches and the plastic, the, like the paper or plastic pouches that everyone else gets them in. They still come in steel drums. Oh. So it doesn't have it still has a syrupy taste to it. They, uh, that's one of their flexes. So, all right. You have three foods besides orange chicken. Okay. So one I'm going to throw on there. That's actually kind of a new one. And I don't know if you have this where you are, but, um, uh, the Burger Kings where we are recently introduced an item called the, um, uh, the Southwest bacon burger. And basically, how is it? How close is it to the rodeo burger of old? I don't. I never had the rodeo burger, so I couldn't say. We'll describe it. We'll see. So this one has. Uh, it's got avocado spread. It's got um, fried. Um, uh, it's got like corn chips. Uh, it's interesting. It's got like uh, fried onion on there. Uh, it's got like a creamy sort of uh, southwestern chipotle sauce. So it's like that plus on like essentially their Whopper. It's real good, and you can get an impossible Ooh. version of it if you want to pretend to be healthy. Yeah. Okay. So that's a busier version. The the rodeo burger was basically their bacon cheeseburger or without bacon or cheese if you want but they put barbecue sauce and an onion ring on there that was that was their version of the okay burger. sure i i mean i've seen variations on that either there are other places that yeah, you'll yeah. have like your barbecue bacon burger or your texas burger or what have you so so you have a you have an asian chicken dish and you have a burger what are the other two if you want to vary it up you can do the same four things it's not a- no um I might do a shout out to Whataburger, uh, recently mm. seen in Vengeance. Um, yeah. They don't have it here, which I'm very upset about. But in Florida, at least, I would always get they had a sweet and spicy bacon burger, which had like a special nice. sauce to it that was always so good. Um, and then for the fourth, I want to mix it up a little bit. Does pizza count as fast food? Uh, if it's a chain. I guess like a Pizza Hut or something like that, maybe. Sure. Um, or, gosh, really exposing my least healthy habits. I hope my mom doesn't listen to this episode. Um, does she often? 
Every, every she'll listen to a random one. Like she listened to the sugar and spicy recap episode. That's fine. Like, I mean, she's like nothing. You, she's like, well, you. I like when you do the voices. Well, she did the ultimate mom compliment. And was like, oh, I love that you're passionate. <laughs> Which translates was, to nice I don't understand a fucking word you guys were talking about, but you seem to be into it, and that's nice. That that reminds me of Kevin Smith talking about how his mom reviewed stuff for a little bit, and it was. Um, I think it was Jane Silent Bob Strike Back. She's like, you and Jay got so much exercise on that movie. <laughs> yeah. You liked that I was running around because you didn't like anything I was saying, essentially. Um, gosh, I don't know. Well, do you have any while I think of my fourth one? Sure. Um, I, I, I'll i give a shout out to a, a new favorite of mine, which is uh, Wendy's has a... Uh, they, they call it a hot honey chicken sandwich. Ooh. I know everyone loves the spicy chicken sandwich, right? That's that's a if we were just building like the the worlds for like that would probably be on it, right? It would be like the Big Mac, the the spicy chicken sandwich, In and Out, and like something else, right? That's probably about what they would be. Um, but this one is you can have it as regular grilled or, or spicy. There's a there's like a white cheese that I don't mind because it doesn't taste really like cheese. They put hot honey on it, bacon, and crunchy dill chips. So basically like fried pickles. That sounds good. That is quite good. It actually reminds me of what I'm going to pick as a real right turn is Roy Rogers, which nobody really has anymore. They're like rest stops in New Jersey, kind of like the last bastion of it. They had what they called a gold rush chicken sandwich. Same like white cheese, fried chicken sandwich with bacon. But it had... Um, like a like a honey, but a sweeter, not a spite, not a not a hot. Very similar sandwich, but I always love that. So that would be one. Um, I'll go I'll go Burger King as well, but I'll go the original chicken sandwich, the like chicken cutlet looking one. Mm. That's just it's weird that it's so juicy. Like I don't know, they're rarely uh, they're really juicy like that. And two others. I'll actually go to bed for the regular McDonald's hamburger. Like, it just hits the spot in a very specific way. And then to mix it up, the Popeye spicy chicken sandwich. I was literally I just about to say that for my number four. <laughs> that just popped into my head. I mean, head. if you want that, I can I can pivot and um, and go with, like, a chalupa from Taco Bell. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, no, love, love talking food periodically. Also, you know, always hungry. Um Speaking of the Mount Rushmore situation, we had a question that inspired that aspect of it. Um, and I want to pull that up for us right now. I believe that was our latest K Flea question. Uh, that sounds right. Yeah, that's probably right. Yeah. K Flea 208, with the release of Bodies, 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 which I'll talk about in a moment, what do you think would be on A24's Mount Rushmore? So that's four, right? Yes. A top four? All right. Uh, quickly, while we look up the list, Bodies, Bodies, Bodies is a. Uh, Solid, solid, solid. Um, I'm curious. Miles probably maybe have seen it next week. Aren't you? Uh, yeah, I, I don't think we get it until next week. So I'll, I'll try and make time for it. Um, you know, it's it's not. It is. It's it's an A24 elevated horror movie in some ways. But I think how much someone will like it will be similar to some of these other movies where it would like unlikable protagonists, like how much you can deal with them being kind of awful. And they started to grade on me a little more than I wanted them to. But I did I did think it was well done. There's a lot of use of darkness and, like, not being able to see what's happening on screen that I think is pretty well done. 
The acting is pretty solid. There's, it's yeah. There's, there's just a lot of like, here's us shining a light on how awful people are, and also they do an, they do a surprisingly good job at making you not feel icky about characters essentially weaponizing their own mental illness as a way to like you to take pity on them. Like everybody has a problem and is special, but they're all rich and spoiled. So it, I think I, what did I describe it as in my review? It was like Spring Breakers meets um, the Bling Ring. Oh, okay. But like with a little bit of horror to it. So uh, I think it's good. It's not like amazing. I was a little surprised the reviews were almost unanimously positive. But it's worth seeing. And I'm curious what you think. So as for A24, their first, do you know without looking, their first release? Because I do. Uh, No, what is it? Um, It was A Glimpse Inside the Mind of Charles Swan III, the Roman Coppola movie with Charlie Sheen. Oh, that's a movie that really came and went. Yep. Uh, I'm act- now and now I've I've pulled up the list because I just remember that and I confirmed them right. Their first year was a wild year. It was that it was Ginger and Rosa, which I saw at NYFF, solid movie. Spring Breakers, that was sort of the first one that people were like. What's A24? Because they went with um, what was it? Consider this bitch, right? With um, James Franco. Yeah, or, or something. Fidel Castro. Ugh. Yeah, I mean, I-, I don't know why people are so shocked that Hollywood is awful. Or, I mean, also that a smaller independent film would try to get this kind of free publicity for their film. But here we are. Doesn't mean it's right. Uh, then they went with The Bling Ring. Then they had The Spectacular Now, my interview with uh, that film's director, James Ponsold, coming soon. Um, that was their 2013. Kind of an interesting intro. It wasn't super shocking they didn't get any nominations. But that next year, the they became a 24, if that makes sense. Like, that doesn't... None of that sounds different than what they do but it sounds quainter if that makes sense right sure their 2014 was enemy mm. under the skin mm. lock mm. obvious child yeah the rover Ooh. life after beth kind of a little bit of a misfire just should have been better than it was um tusk which we have a very divided thought process on but is is sort of in their realm like it's not it's not shocking they would have wanted that film early on in their life right sure um laggies the late lynn shelton one uh, i think i saw that at sundance i don't remember um revenge of the green dragons which i actually have not seen the captive the adam mcgoyan movie and the most violent year was their first like big prestige film so they're kind of there you know yeah totally well there's uh, already some bangers in there alone I mean, let's just keep going. I'm, since we, since I'm sure this will make it also easier. Um, does any of those make your list yet? Uh, not yet, but definitely honorable mentions to Enemy Under the Skin and The Rover. Um, here, let me let me make a little note here for us. Or you keep track of yours. Like, I, I've already got my sort of picks ready to go, but you go ahead. All right, I'm going to keep the spectacular now in play. I love that movie. And Under the Skin and Tusk, even though I know it won't make it. Shout out to Obvious Child, though. Obvious Child is really good. I don't know that I know that one. That's the, um, it's um, uh, Jenny Slate. Jenny Slate gets pregnant, eventually has an abortion. Oh, Uh, yeah. It's really well done. I've literally uh, never heard of this movie. (laughs) I recommend it. I think you would like it. It got like 
NBR and like Indie Spirit nominations, like it was kind of there for the taking as like a one of the indies that year that was doing well. I, I think you would uh, think you would like it, especially these days. Like it's it's not never really sometimes always. It's a it's a much lighter take on that, but still has the seriousness of it. Okay. Uh, so the next year, Son of a Gun. I don't even know that I know that one offhand. That's the Ewan McGregor one, I think. I remember seeing trailers for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, While We're Young, Noah Baumbach. Cut Bank, which I don't remember. I think it might be Australian. I don't remember. Uh, Ex Machina, Slow West, Barely Lethal, the uh, Haley Steinfeld like spy movie, I think. Oh, God, uh, they did that. Amy, Amy, the Amy Winehouse documentary, The End of the Tour, Another James Ponsel. Mm-hmm. Really like that one, though. The David Foster Wallace movie. Um, Dark Places. Whoops. That might be their biggest flop. Is that, that the was one? Meant to be like a... Yeah, with um, that was a, a Gillian Flynn movie, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oof. That was a that was a bit of a wet fart. Yeah. Ooh. Um, Mississippi Grind. Underrated movie. And Room, that was their 2015. Room was their big Oscar year. I think maybe, yeah, they won for Amy and that. That was their first Oscar. And Ex Machina, that was their first Oscars. Wow. Yeah, and they did quite well for their first year. Yeah, I'm going to throw in the end of the tour. I don't think these are going to make it, mind you, but I think they're they're good. In fact, real good. 2016, Mojave came and went. The Witch. Divisive. People love it, love it. Um, remember... Another Adam McGoyan movie. Um, Christopher Plummer's in that one. It's not particularly great, but it's interesting. Uh, Krisha. Green Room. The Adderall Diaries. Another one that went nowhere. Uh, the Lobster. One of my favorites. De Palma. Yeah. De Palma, the, the Noah Baumbach, Jake Paltrow documentary about Brian De Palma. Swiss Army Man, which gave us the, the Daniels. Which, boy, do you remember when everyone hated that movie at Sundance? No. <laughs> they did. Like, the first screening was, like, this fucking farting corpse movie. And then throughout the festival, more people liked it. it I felt like no one who went that first screening knew what they were getting themselves into, I think. That's so interesting, because I literally never heard any bad buzz about it before it came out. All I heard was people raving. I, I heard such... It might have been a very small contingent of people. But they were not fans. I'm actually now I'm curious as we go, what is its Rotten Tomatoes? I'm sure it's lower because regular. I want to say it's like 80 something from memory. 72. Oh. While 72 audience score as well. That never happens. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, will never happen again. Jesus. We don't have to talk about audience scores. They will piss us off. Um, equals Drake Doremus. That was an OK movie. They're a uh, dystopian like romance. It's um, yeah. Nicholas Holt, Kristen Stewart. Yeah. Should have been maybe better, but like pretty, pretty solid, if that makes sense. Like if you don't, if you're not looking for it to be amazing, it's good. I think if you're hoping it's like an Oscar movie, you're going to be let down. Almost a throwback. Uh, Into the Forest. Don't know that one. Mm. I, I, oh no, I do know this one. It was Elliot Page and Evan Rachel Wood. I think I remember thinking it was like supposed to be kind of like Jerry, but with women. But oh. it didn't turn out that way. But that's kind of like how they sold it, I think. 
Why would you ever sell it. anything as any version of Jerry? Uh, well, you mean the movie Six People Saw? Exactly. Um, I mean, I'm one of them. Also, 2016, Morris from America. I like that movie. One of the better um, uh, Craig Robinson performances. Uh, the rare drama performance from him. Uh, sea of Trees, another, another oof, misfire. American Honey. I like American Honey quite a bit. Yeah, I remember that one. I, I still remember at the screening, they gave us snacks because they knew it was a almost three-hour movie and it was like a big ask like that. Uh, Moonlight. Well, yeah. <laughs> Moonlight. Moonlight. Yeah, I don't know. Has anyone, has anyone heard of Moonlight? Uh, um, the Oasis documentary. I haven't seen that, and I like Oasis. Uh, the Monster. The Monster is a very underrated movie. Have you not seen it? I have not, but I'm familiar with it. Oh, I think you would like it because you, you like uh, the Strangers, right? It's okay. All right. Well, this was the this was like the other Brian Bertino movie that actually got released because he had that weird run of like things that never got released. Yeah. Um, very good Zoe Kazan performance. Um, this is kind of in a way the A24 horror because they weren't really doing what they do now you know the horror as metaphor yet right this is I mean the witch was but this is horror as metaphor you know the woman and her daughter they're like stranded on the road and there's a creature hunting them it's very much like abusive husband stand in sure but well done on like no budget I like it I won't put on the list but I like it a lot Uh, 20th century women great movie Banger of an ending, too. Uh, Trespass Against Us. I know Fastbender's in it. Brendan Gle- I don't remember it, but I know I saw it. Fastbender and, Gle- and Brendan Gleeson. I remember Sean hearing Harris. about it when it came out, but yeah, I didn't see it. Yeah. Uh, the Black Coat's Daughter, I know, is like decently well-liked. I know Oz Perkins is pretty popular among like the small-scale like horror, but not fully horror people. Free Fire, I kind of liked, but should have been better. Yeah, it should have been better. Yeah, The Lovers is fine. The exception I don't know that I saw. It Comes at Night. I, I wish I liked more. Oh, I love that honestly. one. It's fine, but I, I, I wish I liked it more. Um, when it comes to trade with Schultz, the best is yet to come. Uh, a Ghost Story. There we go. That one is going on my list. Yeah, uh, I do think I know I th- what you think of A Ghost Story? Uh, we we talked about it because I eventually caught up with it um, either before or after uh, the Green Knight came out last year. I didn't really care for it. Mm, it it, yeah. it it very much bounced off me. Yeah, I, I, it it can be that one. It's one of those ones that I feel like the only two responses are like moved and blown away or completely didn't work. I don't I don't think it doesn't work. I just. Well, I get for you. I get what it's doing, but it's what it's doing isn't doing anything for me. If that makes sense. Sure. Uh, Menashe, good time. Sure. How do we feel about good time? I mean, I really like it, but I feel like it'll be mostly remembered for helping to sort of lead the charge of Hey, Robert Pattinson's a great actor now. Sure. Uh, Woodshock, which had Houston um, Dunn's The Florida Project. I love Florida Project. Going on my long list as well. Killing of a Sacred Deer. By the way, if you haven't figured out by now, they've hit their stride. 
Very much so by this point. Fall 2017 is where they they really because think about it, they're coming off of an Oscar, so now they're the brand. So fall of 2017, yeah. So October, the Florida Project, the killing of a sacred deer. Not for everyone, but I like it. It's Lady Bird. Go ahead on, on killing a sacred deer. Oh no, just it's no the lobster for me. <laughs> No, no, yeah, it's it's lesser Yorgos, but still, like, it's Yorgos. Um, Lady Bird, phenomenal. The Disaster Artist. Kind of un- kind of interesting that I like it more than you do, considering it should be a movie that is, like, your favorite movie of all time, but it's great. Yeah, would have been better without James uh, Franco. Well, now that we know. I mean, even then. Well, but, even then, I would say. <laughs> I mean, remove remove him being a terrible person. I think he's good in it. I, and is directing it well enough. I am removing him from it when I say that. Fair enough. I don't. Well, who would you have preferred? I, I mean, there really isn't anyone because he's kind of unknowable. I think. Yeah. It, I mean, if he was a couple years younger, I think like a Stallone kind of looks more like him at the very least. Although I don't think he could do the voice. But I don't know. It's, it, it would be tough to do anyone without yeah. like burying them under makeup. And I. Ooh. I don't think Franco's terrible in the movie. I just think he's... He's big. There's there's no point where I'm not aware that it's James Franco. Sure. I think I think in a way that's kind of the fun. Is like if you tried to like disappear into the role, you're going to have to embrace that he's a cartoon character. But now I want to hear Stallone be like, and maybe they're vampires. <laughs> uh, you're tearing me apart, uh, Lisa. <laughs> yeah. No, the... Um, well, now he would say you're tearing me apart over from Winkler, but... That's another Uh, rich people being greedy. Uh, I will say that movie is a shining example of um, Neustadter and Weber, the writers, making that book into that movie. Oh, phenomenal. And they wrap up that year on The Ballad of Lefty Brown, which is solid. The next year, we got The Vanishing of Sidney Hall, The Last Movie Star, which is, I think, the last um, Burt Reynolds movie. Yeah. Lean on Pete, which is a real bummer. Lean on Pete is... Do you remember when that had a little bit of Oscar buzz? I don't know what it is. So Lean on Pete is, I think, a very popular book. It's uh, the director of Weekend, Andrew High. So it's a 15-year-old boy begins to work at a stable and befriends an ailing racer. Okay, guys, uh, spoiler alert for a movie that is five years old at this point that no one saw. Um, so he be- he becomes friends with this like old ailing racehorse. It's not particularly like good... Um, the guy who owns it, I believe, is um, Steve Buscemi. And he's going, he's like, oh, if that horse li- loses again, like, I'm selling it. It's, you know, I don't remember if it's turning into glue or putting it down. Like, it's not good. Um, Charlie Plummer is the kid. And so, essentially, he um, runs away with the horse. The horse's name is Lean on Pete. He runs away with the horse when it loses again to, like, keep it from being put down or sold or whatnot. And is basically homeless with the horse. And uh, at about the halfway point he the horse gets scared by something gets hit by a car awesome so now he's just a 15 year old homeless kid and it's a real bummer like it's well done but sort of like to what end if that makes sense yeah i would never watch it again i that that sounds unwatchable to me (laughs) yeah i didn't realize that's what the second half of that movie was and i'm sitting there going like i feel just like i need i'm just i feel awful um backstabbing for beginners i do not know first reformed i think we have very different reactions to yep how to talk to girls at parties is mm, 
I don't know. Hereditary, we have very different reactions to. This is the year when I was like, I guess I don't love all their movies. Yep. Well, this uh, is the year where it's like, ahead. finally, they're coming into their own. Exactly. Uh, Woman Walks Ahead, lesser Jessica Chastain, but okay movie. Eighth Grade, I like. I didn't quite love it as much as everyone else, so maybe this it just isn't my year. Um, Hot Summer Nights, I don't really remember. Young Timothy Chalamet and Micah Monroe. I would remember this movie if I'd seen it. Uh, Never Going Back. I actually liked that movie quite a bit. That was like a kind of raunchy comedy, but with two girls. It was kind of like girl stoners with sort of like a Link Letter vibe. I, I liked it a lot. A Prayer Before Dawn, I don't remember. Slice, that was the, um, that's like an early Zazie Beats movie. Though everyone marketed it as like Chance the Rapper, like, right? Yeah, well, that was the big thing. He's, he was making a, yeah. a horror movie. Well, the horror. The Children movie. Act. Yeah. Or mm. the Children Act, whatever. Uh, Mid 90s, the Jonah Hill directed movie. It was okay. Yeah, I, I, I think I saw it, but I couldn't tell you a thing that happened in it. I remember um, that the older brother is Lucas Hedges and he's very mean to the kid. Yeah. And, I, and um, the mother was supposed to be Michelle Williams at one point before it was Catherine Watterson. It's okay. Uh, Outlaws, I don't remember. The Hole in the Ground, I don't remember. Climax is Gaspar Noé. It's not for everyone. Gloria Bell is the um, remake of Gloria. It's nice. High Life, I still don't know how I feel about. Uh, I like it for Pattinson. How do you feel about High Life? I like it for Pattinson. I need to give it another look. It's one of those ones where I don't know that I got it. Yeah, yeah. You'd think we would both like this movie more, though. Like Like a... sci-fi movie that's kind of like a space deal but they're all having like sex experiments done it seems like our jam yeah and like, i don't know it just it feels um i don't want to say unfocused but you know what i mean it doesn't like yeah from, doesn't from, from moment to moment all. it's it's hard to get a beat on what it's going for exactly um native son which wound up going to hbo that story is just such a bummer I know, and it still you should be able to make like a great adaptation of it, but it is it is you're walking uphill for sure. Yeah, because I mean, there's no way that you're not just. It's never not going to be just a bummer tragedy. Uh, they haven't they haven't cracked the code to make that cinematic in a way. I think. Yeah. Um, Under the Silver Lake, I kind of like that movie. It's a mess. Kind of like that movie. I, I haven't seen it, but I'm mildly curious to check it out. I think you would like it. Uh, the Souvenir Everyone Loves, I, I'm somewhat indifferent to. The Last Black Man in San Francisco is good. Midsummer, I like that one more than Hereditary. I know I'm weird. No, I think people are pretty 50-50 on which of the two they like more. Fair. Uh, the Farewell, good movie. Yeah, very sad. <laughs> yeah. Skin. Remember when that when the short film version won the Oscar and everyone was very mad at it? No. <laughs> oh well, they were, and then they made the narrative version, the uh, the feature length. It's it's whatever. Share, I don't remember. The death of Dick Lawn is one of the Daniels, and it's meh. Low tide, I don't remember offhand, but I think I saw it because the the synopsis is very familiar. The lighthouse, we disagree again. Yep, I love that one. <laughs> The Elephant Queen is is okay. It's not like anything special. I know some people really like that documentary. Uh, the Kill Team. Nobody saw that movie. I like it quite a bit. Um, I wonder how people would like it now because 
it's a really good Alexander Skarsgård performance. Him and Nat Wolf are kind of like duking it out in a way. It's a feature version of a documentary. Uh, and then 2019, Waves also. Waves is going on my long list. I love Waves. I think I missed it at the time and never got back around to it. Oh, you should watch that movie. Uh, In Fabric, I'm just, I think Peter Strickland's not my guy. His horror just bounces off me. Uh, Uncut Gems, I love that one too. That's a great one. Yeah. Uh, First Cow, I like it. I wish I loved it like everyone else did. Boys State, really good documentary. On the Rocks, fun Sofia Coppola movie. St. Maud, I don't think I ever got to see it because it was literally the screening I didn't go to and then the world shut down. Oh, sure. I heard great things. I never got around to it. Yeah. Uh, Minari. Yep. Great one. Yeah. False positive. Hmm. Whatever. Zola. I like Zola. We discussed that one at length uh, on the podcast uh, a year ago. (laughs) Not recently, but yeah, last year. (laughs) Yeah. It feels like the time just really jumped here. Uh, Val, the Val Kilmer documentary. I like that one. Mm -hmm. The Green Knight. We... Somehow I like that one more than you. Inexplicably, yeah. Yeah. Lamb, kind of a shrug. Yeah. Souvenir Part 2. I mean, I know people love what people love people love that, that now franchise. Good for them. Come on, come on is good. Yeah. The humans I just I didn't care for. Missed it. And I know some Yeah. I'd be curious what you think is it it's based on a play it feels like it would be up your alley i i like the look of the trailer it just it i I don't think it ever came out around me and i just never followed up with it i think whatever showtime's proprietary app is probably has it oh well then yeah well then it's like after yang like i would like to see it but i don't know if i ever will because i don't have showtime sure same situation with that one which is to come in a moment uh red rocket going on my list i love it you liked it your wife despised it i i think even to say i liked it would be a stretch i i, I liked yeah. the lead performance but not much else fair enough uh the tragedy of macbeth i think it's fine you quite liked it quite a bit i really like that one yeah now we're getting to this year's stuff the sky is everywhere i don't believe i've seen after yang i liked well enough you haven't seen x we both like a lot yep um I, I assume uh, they're I also you, doing Pearl, right? Um, yes, but that is uh, to be really. I'll probably be seeing that at at, um, at TIFF. Nice. Yeah. So this year's uh, stuff: X, After Yang, Everything Everywhere All at Once. You like more than I do, but I like it a lot as well. So we're splitting hairs a little bit there. Men, we both have complicated feelings about. Yep. <laughs> Elizabeth, a portrait in parts, has not. I guess it just came out. I, don't know, I, I didn't see it. Uh, Marcel the Shell with shoes on. We both like. Yep. Bodies, bodies, bodies. I like well enough. You will chime in soon. Yeah. Still to come. Funny Pages, which is Owen Klein directed. Which. Oh yeah, I heard, I heard about that. The whale. That's just Why is it? He's a man now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. And uh, Pearl. That's their. That's their dated films. Also potentially for this year, and then we'll list them. I promise. Um, After Sun. I don't know offhand. Causeway, which used to be Red, White, and Water, they picked it up. They sent it to Apple TV. They still are a co-production, so it's not really their thing. That's the um, Jennifer Lawrence, Brian Tyree Henry movie. I'll see it. Tiff, um, close. They have the uh, the movie from Cannes. They have the new Joanna Hogg movie. They have Showing Up, the Kelly Reichardt movie. Mm-hmm. That was like kind of. 
not whatever at Cannes, but was didn't make a huge impact. Claire Denis' new movie, The Inspection, which we did I, we talked about that off air or on air. Which one is The Inspection? The it's the closing film in NYFF now. Oh, I mean, not in any great detail. Possibly off air. Oh yeah, that's that's the um, it's a a gay black man in the Marines just announced as the closing night film of NYFF. They have the whale, which they did not date yet. We both are very eager to see that one. Yes. Um, and when you finish saving the world, the Jesse Eisenberg directed movie I thought was fine, and then stuff that won't be coming out this year, like Disappointment Boulevard. All right, you have your four. I well, okay. So what I did is I kind of broke it down into categories because they have such a diverse okay. portfolio. So I didn't want to do like you know four horror movies or four dramas or anything like that. Sure. But I have a few, I have at least two movies that I feel like should be on there for historical significance. And then the other two categories, I'm a bit more open to sort of what we're feeling. Sure. So right off the bat, here are the two that I think should definitely be on there. I think you can't do an A24 Rushmore without putting Moonlight on there because it literally mm-hmm. won Best Picture. And also it's like a very good and very important movie. Yeah. And I would also say, and not just out of personal preference, but I do genuinely think Everything Everywhere All at Once should be on there, if only because it's easily their highest grossing film, and it's been kind of like a huge word of mouth success over the course of the year. And also it kind of encompasses all the different kinds of things they do in one movie. All right. Um, I think we can do one that's like the horror category. And, you know, we could go in a couple of different ways about this because I don't like The Witch. You don't like Hereditary. Maybe we can split the I difference s- and land on Midsommar. I was going to say split the difference to Under the Skin. Ooh, I would I would be totally on board with Under the Skin. There you go. And then fourth one should be, how do you feel about Lady Bird? Uh, I wouldn't be opposed to Lady Bird. The other one that I wanted to put up there, which could maybe wrestle for the horror slash sci-fi spot, would be Ex Machina. Hmm. But, I would prefer Under the Skin of those two. Okay. So I well, I don't mind the four we came up with. Um, if I was doing my own four, just personal preference, it would probably be, I think, Spectacular Now, Under the Skin, A Ghost Story. Actually, you know what? Since we have Under the Skin, I'll take that one out. I'll, I'll say ones that are not on our main one, just to, since otherwise, why am I repeating myself? Spectacular Now, Ghost Story. So we have Lady Bird. I'll take that one off. I'll go Disaster Artists and Waves. Fair enough. Well, then, yeah, if I were to just go personal um, to avoid redundancy, I would probably do Ex Machina, Hereditary. Um, uh, let's say, oh, I just had all their movies up. Why did I put that away? <laughs> Just because it's all well and good until you have to try and keep them. All. Oh, uh, the lobster. Nice. And uh... oh, the lighthouse. Nice. Okay. Oh, and shout out to Uncut they... Gems as well. Sure, Uncut Gems. It was not far off my list. Uh, so, thank you for that, Cavely. Uh, let's do the other question while we're here, and then we can get on to the other business. Um, We'll do my recent, uh, Ryan McDermott says, uh, recent uh, number one films for me after doing the one for you last week. So, um, 
here they are. Um, we'll go quickly through these because we have other stuff to do. We spent a lot of time on A24. Uh, Punch Drunk Love versus Lost in Translation. Uh, Lost in Translation is good. Punch Drunk Love is great. I think they're both great. I probably do give the slight edge to Punch Drunk Love just because I think Lost in Translation is also of a time and a mood for me. This is the thing I was telling Miles off air. You guys can also kind of take this into account. You can sort of see where I am in my like happiness and like dating life, considering where my number one films of the year are. There's a there's a real pivot between things that are uppers or downers or just I think you'll be able to tell. So yeah, Lost in Translation, I think especially when you're in your twenties and you see that movie, it feels profound. Now I now I just appreciate it as a very good movie. Punch Drunk Love is pretty terrific no matter what. Uh, next up, Eternal Sunshine or A History of Violence? Ooh, I do really like both of these, and I think History of Violence was my choice for that year. Um, yep. They're pretty neck and neck. I've definitely seen History of Violence more times, but I do think Eternal Sunshine might have a little bit more to say, so I think I'm going to go there. Fair enough. Yeah, Eternal Sunshine is in my top five, so that's like, there's no option. <laughs> um, next up, I'm very curious how this is going to go because I don't think you're huge on one of these movies and I don't know what you think of the other. The Fountain or Into the Wild? Okay. Uh, I fucking hate The Fountain. Oh, boy. Like, so much. <laughs> like, it pisses me off how much I hate that movie. Uh, it's top five ve- of all time for me. Yeah, it's very pretty to look at, but it is... I'll take that. I'll take that. I'll take that. You that you you're down for the uh, the sort of the like the visuals in isolation are very pretty. Yeah, the narrative that the, surrounds using... them is gobbledygook and horseshit. All right, uh, but that's just me. Um, and then what was the other one? Which is getting it by default into the wild. Yeah, into the wild. We talked about that a few weeks ago, I think. And I, you know, I don't think I love it as much as I did when I first saw it. But there's still a lot of good stuff in it, and it's well acted sure. and well made. Fair enough. I love both of them. I still love the fountain more. I do like that. At least you you like the effects. I still kind of love that they when they had the budget reduced. I don't know how much you remember the story of like Brad Pitt and Russell Crowe and all those people like kind of dropping out at the last minute and getting sort of reconfigured as a smaller film. Ironically with Hugh Jackman, just as big a star now. Um, but they, instead of doing like full on CGI for a lot of the space and universe type stuff, they, they did real um, microscopic close-ups of like bacteria and stuff like that. Cause it had the same kind of look. And I did like that, like work smarter, not harder type feel. Uh, next up the wrestler or up in the air. Um, I really like both of these. Very different movies. Very different movies. I think I, I I really like them both, but if we're comparing them, Up in the Air does feel maybe a little more slight, whereas The Wrestler, you know, it's got the Mickey Rourke performance. It's very heavy. That's the the version of Aronofsky that I prefer, not the, yeah. the Fountain and Mother and stuff like that is very, like, up his own ass kind of stuff. But The, the Wrestler is a very good, very human sort of story, so I think I'll go there. Fair enough. Um, yeah, I think I got to go to the wrestler as well. They're both very close to perfect for me. I know Reitman kind of rubs people the wrong way sometimes. I, this was still when everybody loved him. And it's of its moment. But I think even watching it now, you it does a very good job of being of that moment without being exclusionary to if you're not in that moment. If that makes sense. There's sure. some movies that 
um, I'm trying to think of like a real good example of it was at the time exactly the movie that needed to be made. But when you watch it removed from that moment, it no longer has the same impact. I don't have one off the top of my head, but this one doesn't have that issue. You know, like the, the to the camera, like documentary style, like talking about the, the recession still works in that movie. Yeah. Um, the wrestler is pretty damn close to perfect for what it's doing. These this next one is, and the next two actually are very good examples of Betch can't tell which of these years I was in a relationship and which ones I weren't. Um, first up, Blue Valentine versus Drive. Oh my gosh. The slit, slit Your Wrists Emotional Napalm or just a damn cool movie? Well, all we know for sure is that you are really into Ryan Gosling around this time. I mean, still am, but yeah. I didn't realize until now that I went back to back. I also went two, two out of three years on Aronofsky. Yeah. Well, yeah, like I think I probably when I went back, maybe split it up because I would have had a couple years where uh, like PTA would have been my top film or something similar. Oh, yeah. If we went back more like Magnolia was was getting my 99 vote, which is funny because 99 is an embarrassment of riches. Oh, for sure. Well, yeah. As everyone knows. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's got to be drive for me. I've gone back to it several times and I love it. I think it's still Nicholas Winding Refn's best film. Um, Blue Valentine is great and it's very well acted, but it's also like impossibly depressing. And it's definitely one of those movies that I don't think I would ever go back to just because it's not fun to watch. <laughs> yeah, I have gone back. I can confirm it's as depressing. Yeah. Magnificently done. But yeah, I, yeah. Um, though, it, you know what I thought of recently that I do want to come back to? Remember Take This Waltz? The uh, Seth Rogen and Michelle Williams one? Yeah, the Sarah Polly movie. Yeah. Yeah, I want to rewatch that recently. Because that was sort of seen as like her misfire in a way, or like her lesser film. And I still remember being bowled over by it. I don't remember being bowled over, but I definitely don't remember thinking of it as a misfire. The end the end still gets me of like with having video killed the radio star and her just being kind of back where she was. Just, oh, I'm... I blew up my life and I'm not happy. Yeah. I guess just that's what happens eventually. Well, can't imagine why I think of that movie periodically. Um, I I think Blue Valentine is the slightly better movie. Drive is definitely the easier to revisit movie. I'll split the difference and go Blue Valentine. Uh, not that I have fond memories of that year. I have much fonder memories of the Drive year. All right. Next up. This is another very clear cut example of when I was happy, for lack of a better word. Argo versus Her. <laughs> uh, well, this is an easy one for me because Her was my favorite movie of that year and one of my favorite sci-fis of recent memory. Argo is a very good movie that I don't think is quite great. Fair. Argo, that year, I would argue, my top ten had a lot of good stuff. Cabin in the Woods was that year. Mm-hmm. Very close to my top ten. Um, Zero Dark Thirty is still, oddly, very rewatchable. It's on TV a bunch. Um, I think they're trying to like retrofit it as a dad movie. <laughs> with like mixed results um end of watch super underrated movie like there's a lot of good stuff that year oh yeah, but yeah no her is an all-time classic it's it's her um next up interstellar versus spotlight <laughs> um i really liked interstellar when i first saw it but then i rewatched it and i i i want it to hold up more than it does but it does 
not even just in terms of the plot, but just in terms of like the overall message and how it all kind of comes together, like visually and special effects wise and just the scope of it is spectacular, but there's a couple of narrative choices in there that are either, are either kind of wacky uh, on reflection or like just don't really come together. Um, I haven't revisited it yeah. for that reason. I'm terrified of what the second watch will be like. And, you know, I might give it a third watch and like it better. I don't know. But just on that second watch, I still like it more than I don't like it. But it's yeah. probably like middle to lower tier Nolan for me. Um, mm. And then what was the other one? Uh, Spotlight. Spotlight. Spotlight was my favorite of that year. It's one of the better, you know, investigative journalism movies of its type. Spotlight all the way. I'll go Spotlight, too, just because I've seen Spotlight more than once, and it does hold up. Um, it's as good, the second viewing. Interstellar, I'm I'm terrified I won't like it as much. Also, it's funny that one of the reasons Interstellar uh, has its spot for me is because of the, the final, like, section of the movie that I know really split people down the middle when it becomes, like, there's no place like home, Wizard of Oz, like, yeah. Nolan investigating the meaning of love. Well, the whole, like the plot device of the ghostly bookshelf in the black hole really, really left me out to dry in a manner of speaking. Cause I was with it up until that point. And then it's just like, Oh, this is how we're, this is how we're doing this. Huh? I, I do wonder if it's going to, if that would not work for me this time, I was so caught up in like the emotion. I, I still maintain maybe the single best individual scene. That's not like a, a scene that involves action or, you know, some sort of like thrilling moment, but it's just people talking or acting in a Nolan movie is McConaughey watching the videos of his children as they age. Oh, that's one of the best movie, the one of the best standalone scenes in his whole filmography, just period. That's, that's an amazing scene. It is, it is a really great um, rebuttal to like, he doesn't do like emotion and is a robot. Like, yeah, there are times where none of his characters seem like human beings like in uh, Tenet, but this is the the counterpoint to that. Like, also, it helps that like McConaughey, Casey Affleck, and Jessica Chastain, like, they're they're gonna they're gonna work with that material, and especially like a Casey Affleck, that's a thankless thankless role, and he sells that scene very very well because he doesn't really get much else to do in the movie, except I will say I don't remember loving the like they almost make him a villain for like a scene. Like he's gonna like well, yeah. There's like this weird. There's this weird contrived conflict between him and Chastain when that he she comes to visit, and it yeah it, that that's never really very believable. Yeah, that felt like well, we need he's stuck there and unhappy. Like they all need to be differently let down by the situation, and they just they didn't sell that part as well for me. Very very minor thing, but no, there's there uh, the like you know it would be real her saying like you know. I'm the same age as you were when you left. It'd be really great if you could come back now. Like that is a, or just a wreck, a devastating, devastating moment. Uh, next up, Hell or High Water or the Disaster Artist. We've kind of talked about the Disaster Artist a little bit already. Uh, curious how Hell or High Water works for you. Uh, I like Hell or High Water a lot. I think everyone in it is great, um, doing among their best work. Um, there's there's a lot to like about it. It's very entertaining, but it's also got a lot to say about sort of america and the south and just how we sort of deal with everything um the disaster artist i think if we'd done this closer to the time i might have given it to the disaster artist and you know i know i'm very close to that story and so it's difficult for me to look at it completely objectively but also and like even taking 
the James Franco of it all out of the equation. There's still a lot about it that I don't quite think comes together. Uh, so in this case, I will give it to um, uh, whatever the fuck. Uh, Hell or High Water. Hell or High Water, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah Hell or I High mean, Water. I mean, the Zephyr sure. is, is at its best when they're making the room. Yeah, which is a, a disappointingly small amount of it. Yeah, I think I think as much as I love the movie, I think if it had been like 50-50, it would have been just above and beyond. Because the book is 50-50. Yeah, but the book jumps around in time and it sort of gradually reveals the character as it goes along. Whereas yeah. the movie, I think, tries maybe a little too hard to make him more sympathetic than he probably deserves to be. I... I do wonder how much of that was maybe like onset stuff. I don't know. I, I haven't read the script. Um, or if I did, or if I had it, you know, it was probably the shooting script from like the FYC campaign, which is not, you know, that's what they were. That's, that's after whatever changes happened. That's what they submitted after they made the movie. So I am curious, like what Newstatter and Weber had done at the time, because they're pretty good at like nuanced characters. And, and I still love, you know, the various scenes of like Rogan and, sheer like they're they're doing such a good job of like what that set was like um but yeah hell or high water is a shockingly good movie especially if you went in like i did with no expectations the the final scene between uh chris pine and jeff bridges is still oh yeah no that's a banger for Um, sure i I love his like line about how like poverty is like a disease and like it won't infect my family anymore oh so good so good uh, a Star is Born versus Blinded by the Light. You haven't seen A Star is uh, Blinded by the Light, so what do you think of A Star is Born? <laughs> I like A Star is Born a lot. Um, the only thing I probably don't like about it is the last, like, 15 to 20 minutes when it kind of devolves into sad sack territory. Well, it's A Star is Born. It was going to go there. It, it is, but the way it's done is very, like... Well, it's the modern version as it, opposed to it. It doesn't. It le- there's leaning into it, and then there's leaning into it, and this well, this one is I the recall, latter. The Chris Christopherson Barbara Streisand version is like a drunken car wreck or something like that, and the older version. I don't remember. Is it Judy Carl? I don't. Know, there's like multiple versions that are older, but the one I'm thinking of, one of them, I think they like walk into the ocean, and like I didn't need that version. I mean, this I, was, I haven't seen any of the other versions, so I can't compare it to anything. There, I'm only, this is the this is this is the first one I would argue is a good movie. I, I really They're like all, it, to be clear, and I think Bradley Cooper yeah. is, gives a great performance and directs the hell out of it. But there's, I always find something off-putting when a actor director like culminates their movie with like something tragic happening to their character and then having the other characters that they wrote talk about how great they are even if it's sure. like built into the fabric of that story there's still always going to be something a little bit off-putting about that yeah. um, i will say it, it's the one imagine... it's the one ding on what i think is otherwise a very great movie sure imagine some of the other people rumored for this movie right before lady gaga do you remember who the main person that they wanted for that move, that role was. I do not. Beyonce. Um, I mean, it would have been a different movie for sure. I don't know. I mean, it also would have been also would have been directed by Clint Eastwood. Oh well, then it would have been worse. Yeah. Um, <laughs> other people rumored for the Jackson main role. I don't remember what incarnation it was, but Will Smith at one point. I don't think that would have worked. I think him um, and Beyonce might have worked if they lean into. I don't know if it was that. I don't think if they were the combination. I don't think it was necessarily that. Okay. Um, and then the other person, I think is this might have been the combination, but Tom Cruise was for a while, a while attached. And I don't know. I just don't think he would have 
taken that role for that reason. I don't know. I have to admit, I feel like he would have wanted to like not die at the end of it. Yeah, well, that I mean, the timing would never have worked out because that was that would have been well into his. Oh, I'm just going to do action movies for a while now. Yeah, it. I mean, it is interesting that you hear about this and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood that like he is sort of like dancing around movies dealing with like mortality. So like one day he will make those movies. He's just not ready yet. I mean, well, have, have you heard about the most recent thing? <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, I, I, I'm just, when we finish this, putting up one of the news articles we have about the next three projects. Isn't one of them another Les Grossman movie? Um, well, another would-be franchise and like a musical, right? Well, I, I haven't heard about the other two, but yeah, Christopher McQuarrie is apparently writing and directing a uh, a classic like song and dance musical for him to star in. So that's he, fascinating. Yeah, I mean, he Rock of Ages, he's not the reason why that movie's a little rough. No? I mean, he's going for, I mean, that's the thing, he is going for it in that movie so if he's gonna commit i'm in um i'll go blinded by the light they're both great movies but listen a coming of age springsteen related movie it couldn't have been more made for me um and finally promising young woman versus red rocket two movies i think you have mixed feelings on to some degree but i'm pretty sure you're going promising young woman. i am uh yeah promising so young I. woman it wasn't my favorite movie of that year, even though I was very excited for it. And that did really come down to the third act, which takes it in a direction that I completely get why it works <clears> for some people. But for me, it just did, it, it didn't feel as sharp as the rest of the movie. Um, but I'll still take that over Red Rocket, which has an amazing lead performance, <coughs> but just makes you feel icky the entire time. Yeah. I mean, if I'm going to feel icky, I'd rather it be Sean Baker making me feel icky. But yeah, the utter confidence on display in in uh, Promising a Woman is just hard to argue with. All right. we uh, I spoke a little bit about Prey and a little bit about Bullet Train, but you can now, too. So uh, what would you like to talk about first? Um, I guess we can start with Prey because I don't think I have as much to say about it. Um, just do what do. Yeah, it's, it's a movie that, like... I'm kind of surprised it ended up being as low on my list of the year as it is, but that's more of a reflection on how great of a year it's been. Um, I think it's really good. I think it's easily the best Predator movie since the original. I'm not quite on board with the takes that it's now the best Predator movie. I don't think it quite gets to that point. I think it's doing a very, very good job of exactly what it's setting out to do, no more, no less. And what that means is... It's remembering to be a Predator movie. It is. Well, and it's... A Predator movie in the classic sense. It's not building on the lore. Or it's not trying to like create some deep mythology or make it be a big dumb action movie. It remembers no. to be suspenseful. It gives us like a really good protagonist who like has an arc you can easily invest in. And like, you know, regardless of what the man babies of the internet would like to say, she does have a very believable arc of going from wannabe hunter who doesn't quite have the skills yet to sort of you know gradually learning about her enemy and ultimately becoming like a realistic force against it uh well it's it's the best version since in a lot of ways it's the best version since the original of somebody being a match for the predator like that was that was what schwarzenegger's thing was i mean granted he was a a physical match in some ways but 
But that's not that's predator, not why he he beat him. In both cases, exactly. they they defeat the predator. I mean, spoilers. The the good guy wins. Um, uh, in both cases, whoever defeats the, the predator. The first movie. One there's even kind of a callback to that in this one in in the sort of setting of the final yeah. battle. Um, also, did you? There's a callback to Predator Two in this movie. Did you catch that? No, because I have precious brain space that I'm not keeping reserved for things that happen in Predator Two. Oh, the the, the gun that Danny Glover gets given. Yeah, I read about that after Predator. the fact. I don't give. Yeah, a, I, I just don't care. I no, just don't care. It's very wild. <laughs> but that's the thing. Like this movie is not concerned with most of that. No, it's much more concerned with here's someone who is going to try to outsmart a hunter. They're two hunters essentially. What? That's what it does well. That's what Predator Two also didn't do quite as well because who but Danny Glover wasn't a predator he, he wasn't a hunter he was a cop well yeah they tried to expand the scope of it without really tapping into because no. again in both movies the whole thing is that they they defeat the predator because they're clever because they use the environment yep. to their advantage because they they take the time to sort of study what the predator is doing and how the technology works and even they do what the predator is doing essentially exactly which is why i think the title prey is you know very apt and i also admire yeah. the confidence of not feeling obligated to call it like predator colon prey or something obnoxious yeah. like that like they oh, yeah. they trust origins. you to get it without having to put the word predator in the title yeah, no, that's 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 great. Also, one thing that I think this does, the only thing I think this does better than the first one, because I do think the first one's still a better movie, is I still don't love at the end of the first one when he's beaten Predator, when it has that like dick move of like laughing at him and like trying to like blow them both up. Like I still I still always feel like the whole like thing of the Predator is it's a it's a hunter and like there's a kind of like honor to the Predator, right? I think and that's that something was... that's been invented after the fact. The thing Maybe. I always took from that original movie is, oh, he's just a sore loser. Like he's just... that could be, <laughs> and that and that is kind of reinforced in a lot of the later movies, where like, th- you know, they won't attack someone who's unarmed until that person like kind of looks at a knife, and then suddenly they're in full kill mode. Like, well, that was you some know, of the you look at movies, yeah, but... you look at Alien versus Predator, even, and it's like. Okay, like they're not going to touch the unarmed people except for when they will absolutely brutalize the unarmed people yeah. for well, glancing at a gun. This one did a, a better. This did a good version of that with like this one Predator, felt much more balanced. Yeah, yeah. In Predator, it doesn't go after the unarmed woman, right? In Predator Two, they don't go after the pregnant woman. Like for a little bit, it just seemed like oh, he doesn't kill or it because gender. I don't think they ever got into a Predator. Like doesn't doesn't go after women, but you know. And then there was the the they again like Requiem. I think he it just kind of like blew away every teenager. Well, Requiem, that, that predator is a maniac. He's just going around killing everything and everyone he sees. Um, yeah, which I, I kind of, again, I do wonder, like, if we ever could have seen what was happening in that movie, maybe it wouldn't suck so much. Hard to say. But I think with this well, one, it, it's a good balance because it, you get the sense that he's not dismissing her because she's a woman. He's dismissing... Well, he's not even dismissing her. That's the whole thing. He's like, okay, she's not an active threat because her leg's in a bear trap or she doesn't have a weapon right now. But he's still, like, clocking her. He's also not hunting humans at the beginning. No, exactly. He's sort of working his way up, and then he gets into the trappers, which is a great scene. What are they? Well, that's not – I love that. That's what I was talking about last week with when they capture her. I initially thought, like, oh, he's just going to, like, run through that campsite. And instead, you know, they, they bring her out. And then he runs through them in the, just out in the open. But that that's sort of like the money shot of like, you want to see the Predator wreck shit, here you go. Because other than that, it is a lot more about like, 
hiding and learning about your opponent it's even once he becomes an opponent it's interesting because it it is very lean and mean and i love how brutal some of the kills are um and it's very like basic uh but at the same time it does what even takes away some of his technology he's he's even more back back to basics yeah very much so but i think it does do a very good job of sort of like pacing it out you know it's not a slow burn per se but it doesn't rush into action 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 it takes the time to build him up as a threat it doesn't it doesn't do the thing that most of the other sequels did which is assume you've seen predator like you could go straight into this without having ever seen the original and totally get it and have a great time and i think for some people like they might enjoy it better that way if for some reason they never saw the original um I, i really hope they keep going honestly well, I don't want a direct sequel to this because I feel uh, like that. No, I don't need the same characters. Like by any stretch. But I would the same way I've been feeling about the Terminator franchise. Just like, you know, throw the character into a different time period. Like I've been yep. hearing calls for like, you know, Predator versus Samurai or, you know, like just like I mean, random interesting <clears throat> locations. Like, I, I don't know. I think it's a losing battle trying to build any epic mythology about this character that doesn't talk and like. Is no, it it's, every movie? It's a different version. Like just, yeah. just give us good standalone stories with this character, and that's all we need, or this race, oh, yeah, or whatever. I, for my for the Sunday Scaries, I wrote about about Predator and how I like that it's going back to basics. I think my idea was Predator in World War Two. Yeah, well, like, yeah, that's about as far as I want them to go with like Predator in the past. Because sure. the more you get into like, because like Predator is the eighties, like. And once you get in, like, Vietnam, it's also the jungle. Like, you don't want to be too repetitive. But I do like the idea of, like, soldiers with him. It, um, you know, samurai. Once I think the gimmick of being, like, too far in the past also will wear thin quickly. Well, if they um, overdo it, absolutely. Yeah, because the, the template here would be, you know, oh, uh, it would be, like, a young samurai. Like, they would, they would just do the same movie and it wouldn't, um, it wouldn't gel, I think, quite as much. But... Yeah, I don't need more of the lore. We get the idea. For some reason, this species thinks Earth is a great hunting ground, even though they keep not coming back when they go on the hunt. So maybe that's maybe that's a thing they're into. Also, but, they die every single time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I do wonder there's what never goes been on. a successful predator coming back from Earth. Yeah, like do they? I guess technically in the backstory of ABP, but whatever. I mean, do they have better success elsewhere? Like, I they mean, must the do, can, or I don't know. If you consider, like, AVP, like, not only that, like, they get, like, infected by xenomorphs, too. Like, it really goes badly for them. Yeah. But then again, I guess, I don't know what the exp- extended lore is there, even though we don't like their lore. Um, have they been fighting xenomorphs longer than than that? I know the well, comics. Well, yeah, that, I mean, they, it depends, because then I, I read something interesting where it's like, if you look at the Alien franchise, Prometheus basically wrote the AVP movies out of canon. But Excellent. if you just look at the Predator franchise, they still count because the spear from the first AVP shows up in the Predator. Yeah. So but also, the the Predator is bad. Noted to death. <laughs> I, I I mean I kind of liked it that first time. I will never watch it again. Also, I you know knowing how bad a time so many people had on that set. Is not is not great. Um, you know, I thought it was the court. worst movie I saw that year. Interesting. I, I mean, I, I found it immediately forgettable, but it was like I don't know, not terrible to watch. 
I, I might even like it better than Predators, just because Predators felt like such a missed opportunity. They all, they, every single one except the first one is a missed opportunity. Predator and Prey are not missed opportunities. Predator 2 on is. To what degree? That's up to you. That's fair. I, but I think Predator, Prey, Predator 2 is, if you want to have a top three, it's hard to go um, I might even put Predators above Predator 2, to be honest. I find it a I mean, little the next, more memorable. The, I mean, the next tier for me is Predators and, and the Predator, whatever order you want. And then the AVP movies are god-awful. Uh, I would put the Predator below the AVP movies. I know you would. I just, I, the AVP movies are just terrible. Um, but hopefully more of Prey in some form. Now... Shame it didn't come out in theaters. I think it would have done very well. Yeah, I, uh, they, train. I do genuinely. <laughs> one last thing is that I do genuinely yeah. think. I mean, I, I wrote a tweet about this and I stand by it. The Predator kind of has to earn his big screen status because sure. after that first one, it was just kind of either missed opportunity or outright flop. So I don't blame them one bit for being like, nah, maybe this would work better on streaming. Um, and I also like that it's on streaming just because, A, people can just come to it and discover it easily, and B, they have the Comanche dub, which is how I watched it. Which yes, I, I saw it in theaters in English. I, I do genuinely think people should watch it with the Comanche dub because even though it is an obvious dub, it does go a long way to give the characters and the setting a bit more authenticity and and to sort of ground it in such a way like there's even a, an interesting thing i don't know how this works in the english version but whenever the french trappers are talking the subtitles are in french so like um they you, just didn't subtitle it I just okay so it's said. the same equivalent if like yeah. you're in the you're in the protagonist mindset of not being able to understand them yeah. but also it's very well directed in the sense that you can tell what they're talking about and what's going on as much as you need to. Yeah, yeah. Watching it in English in the theater felt like watching a 90s movie. Um, when it was like, of course it would be in English. But that's. But even with that said, I do kind of wish it had come out in theaters because I think I would have yeah. genuinely enjoyed it more if I'd seen it on the big screen as opposed to like from a distance on my TV that's too small in my new home. Totally. Um, Bullet Train, however, did come out in theaters and... Did um, did solid business. I think kind of some people thought it would make a little bit more. Some people thought it would get slightly better reviews. It did seem like in the weeks leading up, it was like one of the hotly anticipated movies of the summer. And then kind of just opened without a ton of fanfare, which may be just that the critical consensus was a little more mixed than expected. But I, I still liked it. It's not perfect by any stretch. But as I said last week, it's it's fun. It's doing what it's doing pretty well. Um, I think you had similar feelings, maybe you liked it slightly less than I did. Yeah, I thought it was good, like just above fine. Um, it's very much in that era that like you don't see as much anymore where it's like the Tarantino, Guy Ritchie, you know, way of the gun, lucky number Slevin, like that whole era of like, you know, dialogue-driven gangster movies that have over-the-top violence and settings and characters. And it's a it's an above-average version of that. Uh, I think Brad Pitt is great. He's... I, I like that they... He's legitimately funny in the movie. He's very funny. Well, and I think his character works the best because they don't turn him into, like, the ultimate, like, badass who's, like, beating up everyone else. Like, a lot of the times he's kind of the odd man out in the fight scenes. And, like, he, he's, like, trying to be more focused on being Zen than killing people. Yeah. He's also, like, not a full-on assassin. No. Like, he's implied he's, to have been one, but he's not anymore. 
Right, exactly. This is kind of like his, like, getting back in the swing of things, like, here's an easy gig. Uh, which turns out to be yeah, anything so, but. Like, yeah, I mean, which which you know. But yeah, his, I did really think it was effective when he would, whenever a fight scene would start, and he would kind of immediately try to defuse it. Like, I don't remember which one is. Is it the, uh, is it the Bad Bunny fight or is it the Zazie Beats fight where he's like, hurt people, hurt people? Uh, I don't remember. Very, but it's just, it's very funny that he like immediately is like, come on, we don't have to be doing this before almost accidentally murdering them. Because he also accidentally kills all these other people. Well, yeah, and that's the thing. A lot of the time he's winning the fight, not so much due to his skill, but just due to like something in the environment or like opening the door at the right time or like, you know, just like a lot of like accidental or the, happenstance. Or, or I mean, mild spoilers, but I don't think this is a movie that really needs to worry about spoilers besides like a cameo type thing that I won't reveal, but we'll talk around is the Zazie Beats fight when they poison each other. Yeah. And he doesn't realize she would only have one antidote. He's like, come on, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have more than one. I, I wasn't trying to kill you. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, so I, like I love that she shows up for like one scene, essentially to fight Brad Pitt, say bitch every, every other sentence and die. Well, yeah, what a fun role. She's, she's almost playing scary Terry from Rick and Morty. Exactly. I mean, I, I kind of wit. This is one of those things where like, I, I wish I was one degree closer to her to ask. So one of my best friends, his brother went to school with her. Oh. So they're like childhood friends. So I was at an event for The Harder They Fall last year. And it was right after I'd interviewed her. And I, I saw her at the event and like said hello. And then I was like, hey, you know my friend. And I explained it. And she like grabbed my phone to start texting my friend's brother. And I just wish they were a little closer for me to be like, can you ask her a question? Like, I just want to know if she's seen that Rick and Morty episode. Yeah. I, I, I feel like she would have. She seems pretty hip to it, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. It would be so satisfying. But yeah, like that stuff, I think it does really well. I will admit, um, I don't know how you feel. That's the first act is a little rough. Like once they settle in, like the back half was better for me than the, than the front half. Um, yeah, I would agree with that. I would say the middle is probably when it finds like its strongest footing. I think. Yeah, because initially you don't know what's going on and like I don't care yet. Yeah, well, they they make a severe miscalculation with the opening scene, which does a very bad job of setting the tone for the rest of the movie. And I get that it's supposed to be this one character's sort of tragic story that sets up why he's on the train. But I feel like there's a character in the movie. Yeah, but I don't even feel like that's his fault. I just think that's like it's written in such a way where either they. Yeah, exactly. They forget about him or like they try and put more importance on him than ultimately there needs to be like in a lot of ways, anybody could have fulfilled what his role ends up being, but they, I think they try and do it to sort of beef up the Joey King character who I was, you know, kind of lukewarm on. Um, She's doing an okay thing, but yeah, like she doesn't fit as well. I would have kind of liked if everybody was closer to like the twins, like, well, yeah, they're, they're bad people, but they're also like not necessarily bad people. If that makes sense. Like Joey King is playing a bad person. Yeah, exactly. Well, the twins are the highlight for me. And, uh, um, Brian Terry Henry is always great and it's great to see him here. Aaron Taylor Johnson is a as an actor. I've kind of like, I don't even want to say I've gone bad. I don't even want to say I've gone back and forth on him because I have seen him in a number of things where I'm like, oh no, this is a bad performance. 
Yeah, he kind of stole the show for me, I think. Like he I mean, the twins in general, like they feel like proper like Guy Ritchie, like snatch type characters. And that's some of my favorite stuff in the movie is just them riffing with each other, even though the pacing of it is a little weird. There's a lot of moments where it's like, oh, we have this thing that we need to get and we know what we need to do. But let's stand in a hallway for 20 minutes and talk about like other characters backstories. Like some of the writing there is like a little too pleased with itself. There's but, like, but a to big... make, uh, was it lemon is Brian Tyree Henry, right? Yeah. The, uh, the Thomas tank engine references repeatedly. Like I thought that was very clever. Uh, I think it was clever by half. I could have done with like half of that gone. Yeah. I like, I like that as a unique character trait. That, that being said, I, I do think the funniest moment when Aaron Taylor John says with Brad Pitt with the sex toy luggage. Oh, yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> well, yeah, their whole fight is great. And then, like, the dynamic they kind of inadvertently form over the next few scenes where they have to sort of work together to deal with a few things. Like, that was all great. I will say, like, because I they're making a fucking Craven the Hunter movie and I couldn't care less about it. Yeah. But after watching this, like, Aaron Taylor Johnson has a few moments where I was like, okay, yeah, no, I do see him as Craven, actually. Like, I think yeah, he can totally pull that off. It still won't be great, off. but... No, the movie won't be great, but I don't think it'll be his fault if it's not great. Also, at least I'll give him... Uh, it's it's J.C. Chandor, so he's, you know... I'll, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt that I won't give to Jared Leto. Yeah, yeah, Morbius was never going to... Also, was it? Is Daniel Espinosa directed it, right? Yeah, that was never going to be anything. Morbius, yeah, but like, yeah, Daniel Espinosa is like, fine. Like... I haven't hated any of his movies, but I haven't loved one. J.C. Chandor is like a filmmaker, like a full on like can do like this is more of a right turn for him than like Daniel Espinosa is the like, oh, if this was Blade 4 and not a Marvel one, but just like another one of those. But yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. Just that guy, which again, like not a critique, but when you hire him for this movie, you're he's one of those Antoine Fuqua types we always talk about where he's, he's a workman. Yeah, you're accepting that we want the movie to come in at a certain level, and if it's not more than that, it's not more than that. You hire J.C. Chandor, you hire like someone who like maybe hasn't done this movie before, you're running the risk of it being a boondoggle, which, whatever Morbius was anyway, but you're hoping like maybe they'll tap into something incredible. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah, no, like, it, like, David Leach doing this movie is a better version of The Workman, because also, like, he's so thoroughly in the world of action that... Yeah, level that I don't think you get from a workman. I I think because David Lynch, Leach, I really like as a director. There's a part of me that wishes he was more in Atomic Blonde mode as opposed to Deadpool Two mode. Because he's splitting the difference. Not even though, because the action surprisingly it's good, but there's not nearly as much creative. Well, it's also very brief. Like, there's not nearly yeah. as much of it as the trailers would have you believe. Like, no, it's, it's mostly characters, like, riffing. And the riffing is kind of hit and miss sometimes. I think some of the actors, like Brad Pitt and the twins, are do- are doing really well with it. But, like, Zazie Beetz is great, but she's in one scene. Michael Shannon, yeah. speaking of the disaster artist, is doing an excellent Tommy Wiseau impression. But he's only in, like, a scene and a half. Like, he definitely also found out he was playing Russian like that day, right? Oh, yeah. Well, that's what I mean. He's doing like, you know, a, this could be anywhere in Europe kind of accent. Um, yeah. You know, Hiroyuki Sonata is great, but he's like, you know, kind of awkwardly shoehorned in there at the end. Um, Being in the end, yeah. Like, you know, there, there's a great ensemble, but they're not all used especially well. Um, yeah, more more of if it was like, oh, here's the five figuring it out. 
before that would have been more interesting narratively speaking yeah as opposed to we're killing off a couple of them real quick before we even figure out what's going on before we even get going also i think the uh real quick the um speaking of the script there is you know and these movies always do like their twists on top of twists here's what was really going on and i think it is a little it's a little too cute by half to sort of be like oh like you know, it was actually part of my master plan to get all of these people together and all this to happen the way it happens. Yeah, and it's like didn't, didn't when you that. when you look at what happens in the movie, like there's a million different ways that could have gone wrong that like oh, nobody yeah. was present to supervise. Like it's a I mean, it's a miracle that it went the way it did, and even then, it's a disaster. Yeah. One thing that 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 led you I did like was the cameo of who Brad Pitt was replacing. Just a really funny. Of like, oh, cool! That considering who it is and the relationship to other characters and filmmakers in this, like, it makes sense. Which just was a nice laugh moment. It makes sense. Um, I could have done without it. I didn't think it added wasn't anything. Necessary. It made me. It made me think that the last scene was going to be Brad Pitt killing him. Well, and that would have made it mean something. As it is, the actor who we won't spoil here could have showed up for like thirty minutes and shot it against a green screen. Like, it, oh, yeah. there's no participation. Whereas there's another cameo, which I think which is, is much more effective. Yes. And like, I I don't want to give away who it is, but all I'll say is this actor. They've also done this before. Well, this actor is like. Way kind of the patron saint of great comedy cameos because like he's done this it in is the so third many time oh it's probably more than that i would argue but i can think well i mean i don't want to say the movies because we'll we'll give away who it is but it, in the two other ones i'm thinking of one of which is also kind of sexual like this yeah i mean if you're good at something <laughs> oh i i just i i mean it makes me i this is this is the actor i've done the biggest turnaround on because i hated him for the longest time also he was in bad movies like I, I didn't hate him personally, but like the vow and things like that, it was terrible. Well, well okay, um, we're getting real close to spoiling it. <laughs> oh, well, never mind. Well, whatever. Should we just? But yeah, should we I, move on or should we just address it? Uh, well, no, let's move on. I think people should naturally yeah, yeah. find it out because whatever. It's a it, listen. I'll get and it recurs enough in the movie that it that it makes sense as opposed to the other one, which is just kind of like, all right, that was clever. You guys had your fun. Like you know what I think is is way better than those individual like one-off moments i like the like there's a lot of jokes about japanese toilets that kind of work better and leads to a really kind of funny visual gag with the snake thing yeah no that's all fun i i like the yeah. i like the japanese setting a lot i wish they'd done a little more with it because it's a lot of aesthetic stuff and like moments like that but it's not like there's like two japanese er, or like two or three japanese characters in the whole movie and half of them are like the train attendants Oh yeah, Masioka from uh, from Heroes, right? And uh, Ka- Karen Fukuhara from The Boys. Yeah, I do love that Brad Pitt is terrified of the ticket taker. Because yeah. I can't fuck with him. Like that, that was well, that's a fun, fun gag that again they could have I think done more with. Oh yeah, if they if at the end something had happened with that, no, it's 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 not more than what it is, but for what it's doing, it's doing it well enough to recommend. I think. Yeah, I would give it a very soft recommendation. I did like it, but I want it. I wanted a little bit more from the cast and the people involved in the premise. It just sounded so juicy. And for it to just be oh, yeah. like a pretty good, like Guy Ritchie knockoff. Cause like for case of comparison, and I know you're not as big on Guy Ritchie as I am, but like not usually no. but his early stuff in particular, like just sings for me. And like, so 
I realized after we had watched it, because my wife liked it more than I did, and we yeah. were talking afterwards, and I realized she'd never seen Snatch. So I showed that to her. Mm. And that movie is just like, the characters are so precise, and the situations are so well written, and just, there's there's a lot of sort of incidental stuff, and like, it, it's able to have an intertwining plot, but still makes sense. And I feel like yeah. this one, it, it kind of like, it's going for that very much that vibe, but it it's doing a lot more spinning its wheels and it, right. and it's still it better. Doesn't, it doesn't feel like it's as maybe confident in its premise mm-hmm. as it should be maybe. still better than most Tarantino guy, Richie knockoffs. Yeah. Like I said, it's an above average yeah. version of that, but what's another good one? Cause most of the time they're not good. I kind of like lucky number 11. Um, mm, I think, I, I think I the like cast elevates that one. Like fair. You know, it's one that I kind of like, I don't know if everyone else likes it or not, but go. Remember Go? Yeah, Go is all right. Go's more of like the Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, lower key Tarantino ripoff. Um, you know what? This this actually ties into the next thing we're going to talk about. This is a good example of a movie. Like if you were the studio head and you saw the first cut of this movie, you would probably order reshoots, but in a good way of like, I think there's an amazing movie here. Let's find it. I would agree like, with that. I would also good, say. Why settle for a good movie? I would agree with that. I would also say probably should have been like 30 minutes shorter. I do think yeah. I do think it drags and I don't I, the ending in particular like I guess it's not a cameo cuz she's in the the trailers, but Sandra Bullock yeah, bring, shows bring. up right at the end and like could have like written her out of the movie for all I care. Like yeah. she she I brought mean, nothing to it and then it just ends no. on like a weird like I have to take Fate a shit of another joke. character. <laughs> Yeah, there's also the fate of another character that, like, sure, could go either way, but was, like, really going both ways on what happened to that character several times already. Yeah, no, well, yeah, I agree. It's just, like, like even non-Marvel movies aren't safe from the fake-out deaths now, and especially yeah. because, well, what happens to that character and another character, like, in the moment, both seem to have a certain weight to them, and then sure. by the end of the movie, the weight of, I would argue, both scenes has sort of been diminished a little bit because they, they can't quite commit to one way or the other. Yeah. So as we wrap up, before we do our final uh, goodbyes, we promised we would fix uh, DC and Warner Brothers. So uh, we've been appointed in charge. Let's let's fix things since God knows they're they're a mess right now. So first off, what do you think is the main thing they're doing wrong? Because I think it's clearly not committing to any vision. Every time they have one, they say this is our five, ten year plan and then halfway through pivot to something completely new. And that's just not the way to even do business, let alone make like compelling films. Well, so, well I yeah, I mean, have you seen the uh, the meme that's been going around? That's the Dr. Manhattan scene from Watchmen where it's like it's 2013 and Warner Brothers says they have a 10 year plan for DC. It's 2016 huh. and they say they have a 10 year plan for DC. It's 2022. No, I haven't seen it, but that's pretty accurate. Like, you know what I mean? Like they say this every time. Like I still remember there was that, I guess it must've been Comic-Con or something where they're like, here's the next 20 movies we're going to make. And they made like five of them. <laughs> well, yeah, well that's, that's where I think our, our plan comes into play. First off is they really have to decide if they want to be Marvel or not. And, and, Pick an answer and just commit to it. If you want to do it, everything needs to be connected. If you don't want to do that, that's great. And argue with probably what you should be doing. Then don't worry about connecting things because they keep saying they want to do it, right? They spend all this time with Zack Snyder, building up the Snyderverse, rushing the Justice League, those other movies they were going to do afterwards. 
But at the same time, they're greenlighting Joker. They're greenlighting the Batman. They're, they're, they're fine with these offshoots. And honestly, that's the Batman is one of their better ones. And, and Joker is divisive, but like not unsuccessful. Maybe that's just the way to go. And, and don't try to do that. Make yourself different by being the, the grown-up superheroes. Because they're already grittier just in the way some of them are written. You know, Marvel always was the, like, they have our problems while being superheroes as opposed to billionaires and gods. Not new things I'm bringing up here. But maybe the way to do it is to have your Joker franchise, have your Batman franchise. Don't necessarily have them cross paths and let them take more chances. Because look at what they're doing right now. They're, they just, you know, what timing to announce Joker 2, right? Well, that feels very cynical and deliberate to me. Yeah, like they had, they definitely had that ready to go whenever they needed to pull the trigger on that. Because go figure that Lady Gaga confirmed she's in it like right after all this. Um, and obviously they're going to make a sequel to the Batman, but at the same time, the the Flash movie they keep saying is, oh, it's still coming out, even though this is like I said last week. I think the testing the waters for the two hundred million dollar write off next time they can. I, they can't do it until a certain period of time in the year or next year, but I feel like this is testing the waters. So you can't do both. Like, otherwise you're just confusing people. Well, not even confusing. You're just, you don't have a vision for your company. You're just going to, whichever way the wind turns. Remember when Wonder Woman, the first one, was such a big deal? Yeah. They wanted to lean into that. Sequel comes out. Uh, maybe not, not so much. Quite as big a deal. Suddenly, the, suddenly Wonder Woman's not the, not the focus. You know, remember when, like, oh, we're not going to do Superman. We're going to do Supergirl. Well, Crickets yeah, they still good. don't. I mean, here's the thing. They they have the same problem that the Star Wars movies have right now, which is that every project feels like a reaction to the project before it. And you, ca- yep. you can't build out any coherent universe that way, whether they're all connected or whether they're all doing their own things. I agree with you that I think the most successful stuff they've done over the past few years has been the stuff that more or less stands on its own. The Batman, arguably one of the best comic book movies ever made. Uh, the Suicide Squad does technically connect to things, but very much feels like a standalone. Same with Birds of Prey. You know, Shazam is set in the universe, but like the details aren't really important. Um, yeah, winks at the other stuff. Exactly. Joker, you know, we're not the biggest fans of, but it, it definitely has its audience. Like, I'm sure that sequel, pretentious and stupid though it might be, will probably be very successful. So, you know, they've got stuff like that that's working. I think their biggest problem, and it's one they've been dealing with, you know, for almost a decade now, is they... they Nothing against Zack Snyder. He's a very specific kind of director who makes very specific kind of movies. I don't think it was a good idea in the first place of letting his style be the foundation. Because... Immediately evident in Man of Steel and onwards, his thing is less to do. He's not doing the MCU thing where, like, we're getting the classic, you know, (laughs) versions of these characters, maybe updated for the modern era a little bit. So we're getting, you know, proper Iron Man, Thor, Captain America, etc. He's given us, like, the gritty injustice versions of those characters for all intents and purposes, which obviously carries through to BVS and so on. And I think that's already a rocky foundation for a franchise, but then for BVS and then especially with Justice League to then keep trying to course correct, like as the movies are happening or being made is only, you know, compounding the issue. And I think, you know, 
there are those of us in the film world who are very invested in this stuff and the comic world or the comic film world even more so. But to the average moviegoer, like... It's because the plan has always seemed to be to use the Flash movie as an excuse to sort of soft reboot this whole thing, which on paper is not a bad idea, you know, taking the Ezra Miller of it all out of the equation. But like, which, by the way, now just charged with something, I think. Oh, yeah. um, Armed burglary in Vermont or something. Yeah, no. Another meme I saw recently was uh, Ezra Miller showing up to the Flash premiere and it's like Hannibal Lecter, like being rolled in in like the straight jacket. I would, I would, I, they, they're not even clever enough to do that. If they did that, that'd be a phenomenal idea. I think, like, I think they're just like, not going to be arresting there. him. <laughs> Can you imagine if they just like arrested him after the premiere? Yeah. Well, it's like, well, first off, I don't think they're going to be allowed at the premiere, but secondly, like, how are you going to do <laughs> like, the press tour for that movie? Premiere. How do you do the press for that movie? Like you can only do so much with having Michael Keaton and Ben Affleck talk about like Batman stuff and like kind of tiptoe around like this is supposed to be a flash movie so i think they may still do some re-editing i i mean they keep talking like they're really proud of it and that they think it's going to be a big hit but also what i've read recently is that they're like super in the hole with that movie and like because it was in development hell for a decade before they even shot it oh yeah taking aside all this stuff before they made it yeah and it's been the linchpin of them trying to reconcile sort of the remnants of the Snyder stuff, because Aquaman and Wonder Woman, the first two at least, both very successful movies, those do very directly spin off the Snyder stuff, and they've been able to stay self-contained for now, but apparently Ben Affleck's showing up in Aquaman too, for, to what end, I have no idea, but like, it's, it's, it's a lot of stuff like that where I think the casual audience member is more confused than anything. Like, most people who are not invested in what Zack Snyder's original vision for Justice League looked like. They've moved on from that movie. To them, that's a movie that came out in 2017 and was bad. So, like, I think they're overest... I mean, comic fans and movie fans are obviously going to, you know, hyperanalyze this stuff. But I think there's so people like that are so loud online, it's easy to lose sight of the fact that most casual viewers just want a good movie. And I think they, yeah. they are on, they have been in the past few years on more of the right track than maybe they think by just focusing on putting out individual movies that are good and worry about connecting them later. And I think this whole thing with Batgirl to me seems like a very ill-advised attempt at sort of riding the ship, but I don't think the ship is as off course as they think it is. The Batman was a big success. Joker made a billion dollars and was nominated at the Oscars. Like they're doing okay. I won a couple. Yeah. Even the suicide squad, which, you know, was well-reviewed, but didn't do so well financially ended up spinning off peacemaker, which is like one of HBO max's most successful shows. So, like, you know, like, they've got some good bones here. It's taken them a while to get them. But, like, you know, let the Batman be a separate thing. Let the Joker movies be a separate thing. I think what can keep them separate is that they, you know, they focus on that. And, which is not to say they can't have movies that have a shared universe. But if you're going to do that, you can't keep stopping and starting it every five years when the management changes. Like, if Marvel had that with Kevin Feige, where, like, somebody just came in and replaced him after the first Avengers, who's to say they would even still be going now? You know what I mean? There's always been a vision there. Like, we're going to be this interconnected thing, and we're going in this direction. And, you know, we've talked about how Phase 4 has maybe been a little 
ambiguous on that, although it seems like we have a better sense of the direction now. But with DC, it's like, like, I can't imagine them making a second Justice League movie anytime in the near future. No. Like, and even they have no plans Marvel for another Superman movie. They don't know what they're doing with Superman. No. Henry Cavill I mean, hasn't shown up in a movie technically since 2017 as that character. Yeah. I mean, Marvel even had their moment where they had to decide how they were going to go. Because if you recall, there was Kevin Feige, but also there was Ike Perlmutter, who was, we don't need to, he was the version of this guy that, that uh, Warner Brothers Discovery has. Like, is this going to make money? Is it going to make enough money? Otherwise, fuck it, we don't care. And eventually, they both realized, like, okay, we can't do the thing that I want. But like, Kevin Feige's plan would not work with, with this kind of situation. The smaller scale, like, it doesn't matter as much. It's meant to sell toys of it all. Wouldn't work with this giant, ambitious plan. Like, I, I, what if, you know... I don't want to sell Guardians of the Galaxy toys. Never heard of them. And they eventually went to, I don't know if it was Alan Horn, whoever was in charge of Disney at the time was like, it's, you got to choose. And they went with the big plan. And Warner is not. And, and if you don't do that, you have no chance. Like you were saying, like they don't know what they want. They don't know what they're doing. They, they can't commit to anything. Every time something seems like it could work, it doesn't. They're, they're at a loss. And in a way, it's an opportunity. Like pick one. Pick either one and just go. Like I was saying earlier, there's no reason not to because all you're getting is bad publicity. Now, maybe it doesn't matter. I think the stock price did go down. So that's not that's a sign that like there's some tangible bad thing to all this bad publicity because they don't care what we think. They care about if the money's there. But as I mentioned a little bit last week, I think you did too, and um, got picked up in the news a little bit by Kevin Smith saying it on his show one of his shows this past week it's also just a really shitty look to like cancel the the movie that is like oh Batgirl's Latina oh never mind doesn't exist anymore like why bring that narrative into the world also well so well that a- well that yeah that just exacerbates things because it was bad enough already that you had like Batgirl Blue Beetle I think a Static Shock movie was in the works Wonder Twins like sure. All these projects that were ostensibly going to be led by people of color or, you know, Batgirl was going to have the first, like, actively transgender character as, like, a major supporting character in one of these things. Like, you know, Brendan Fraser was going to, you know, part of the Renaissance coming in to play the villain. Like, there's a lot of opportunities that these smaller... What if he wins an Oscar in six months? Wouldn't you want him in this movie? Yeah, you're going to feel like a bit of a dumbass. I mean, but that's the thing. It's like... Not every movie, and you know, even Marvel to a lesser extent has been smart about this, because like, you know, the Ant-Man movies don't make the same money as like the Avengers movies, but they have their place and they help inform the fabric of the wider universe. And And look at what they're doing now. The next one is going to introduce in a bigger way Kang. Like they know when to invest you in a a property that, okay, Ant-Man makes less. So how do we bump Ant-Man up? Okay, Kang, there we go. We found a way. But, you know, Thor, let's make him funny. Like, they found ways to but, uh, to change the narrative in a way without changing the, the plan. Well, and that's the beauty of it is that they do that kind of creative problem solving without sacrificing what came before. Like, you know, yeah. people may not like Thor The Dark World or Age of Ultron, but those both of those movies had plot elements that ended up being super important, you know, by the time you get to Endgame. So you can't just dismiss them either. Whereas I feel like, 
with the DC stuff, like, especially now that the Snyder Cut is out there and, you know, that fan base will never shut the fuck up <laughs> about wanting to see that version that even Snyder himself has moved on from. Yeah. Which, by the way, that movie did not, if you just look at how many people watched on HBO Max, would have been a money loser. So it would have done better than the last one, but was not some, like, gargantuan, like, pop culture phenomenon. Like, it played to its crowd. And there's nothing wrong with that, mind you. But it was not the right lesson to take. Like, there's no reason they're ever going to go down that road with the air cut, with the this, with the that. Like, it was not so clearly, like, everybody watched this. It was the people who were clamoring for it watched it. And people who like movies and comic books like us watched it. You know, the how did this get made crew watched it to review it. But, like, it didn't catch on. Like, like did your parents watch Zack Snyder's Justice League? No, they would never watch it. Did they watch Black Panther? Yeah. See, like, that's the difference. Like, they they don't have that. And, it, it, listen, there's a, there's a secret sauce that doesn't always exist. Every movie is not Black Panther. But, conversely, Spider-Man No Way Home is not Black Panther. It's not trying to be Black Panther. More people saw Spider-Man No Way Home. Yeah, well, because they had built in, like, a reason to care about that version of the character to the point where not only did it not bother people that this was a different actor than, like, the two that had come before, but that they were able to actively embrace, like, bringing in all parts of the continuity. Like, I don't know that DC is ever going to be bold enough to do something where, like, you know, supposedly Michael Keaton and Ben Affleck are both in the new Flash movie, but I think it's it's not going to be something like No Way Home where, like, Maguire and Garfield show up and then they're like basically main characters for the last third like no they're they're gonna be be a little more in it they'll they'll be in it but there won't be it won't be about like celebrating the history this is about like patching holes and sort of figuring out how do we exit this movie with a bit more of a clear roadmap but the the thing of it all and the thing I've been trying to get to is you can't erase what came before Man of Steel came out it has its fans. It has its detractors. Same with BVS. Most people don't like Justice League. A lot of people don't like the Snyder Cut. Like, my cousin was yeah. watching it and, like, got halfway through and was like, does this get better? Because I fucking hate this so far. And, like, I don't like, blame well, him at all. A it's a very specific... <laughs> yeah. It's a very specific kind of movie. And if you're not on that wavelength, it's not going to... It, it was never going to be, like... Like, I think even if he did get to make the movie he wanted to make in those circumstances, it still wouldn't have... It would have been probably just as divisive as BVS ended up being. Sure, and you well, can't. I mean, there's, there's just. I think they the, don't. Yeah. Go ahead. Finish up. Finish up. What you were saying, Fred. I, well, I think that the point of it all is that you can't erase what came before, but you can build on it in ways that are compelling. The first Suicide yeah, or, Squad movie was crap, but James Gunn was able to take some ingredients, take some actors, take things that worked, and then just move on from it in a way that doesn't erase the first film, but you know, acknowledges what works. We can still have a great Superman movie starring Henry Cavill, but they've got to have the confidence to, you know, actually commit to that. Aquaman's doing fine for now. Wonder Woman, I'm sure, will be fine again. They're not going to recast Gal Gadot anytime soon. Like, there's, there's ways to do this and to have your shared universe without having everything hinged on how shared it is and still have room for the side (laughs) projects like the Batman and Joker. Well, yeah, the, that's that's a way that they can do both. That's a have your cake and eat it too. Because look, at, here's the thing: what's the highest grossing Marvel movie? Uh, Endgame, yeah, yeah. 
What's the second highest grossing Marvel movie? Uh, is it Black Panther? It's No Way Home. What's the third highest grossing? Oh, well, there. Uh, Black Panther. Oh, okay. <clears throat> all three are in the top five highest grossing films of all time. With the exception of Black Panther, which was a legitimate cultural movement, Avengers Endgame and Spider-Man No Way Home build on years and years and years and films and films of what's come before, right? They invested you to make that money. They built they, they got their eight hundred million dollars in change because they took the time, right? What's the highest grossing DC movie? Not counting Nolan. Uh out of these newer crop, uh, is it Joker? Um it is not. It's Wonder Woman. Oh, the first one, sure. Yeah. Which is tied into stuff, but it was also literally made half the amount of money. So this idea Maybe what you should be looking at if you're just thinking of money is we can't make the same amount of money by tying everything in. So why are we bothering? Why are we hamstringing ourselves? Why are we causing like it's clearly not working like the Batman made more money than Joker and Joker is seen as like their big success. Right. Part of it is because it was cheaper. But Joker made three hundred thousand dollars more than Aquaman. Like there is an amount of money that DC seems to be making right now. And part of that is they have no goodwill, right? So maybe you need to lean into that and take more chances. You know, Suicide Squad makes $325 million while being terrible, right? Dawn of Justice, 330 while being, like, not liked by most people. You should figure out a way to tell better stories first. Because you apparently make about the same amount of money. So there's your amount of money. Figure out what you want to do. Make people get on board. Then you start to figure out how we can build up and make these event things because they're not there yet. And until they do, they're going to keep spinning their wheels. They're going to keep kind of developing these characters. They're going to keep trying new things that they don't commit to. And it's it's never going to never going to fully work. So what they'll have now is even at their best, they'll have a year where like, oh, the Batman comes out and that's great. But I mean, we're not getting Flash now. We're like, you know, you could have a, a year with, uh, I think Shazam is also apparently maybe moving rather this year. But even if you get Joker as a super successful movie is, let's say Flash gets delayed that year and that's a mess. All you've done is is one step forward, one step back. And that seems to be their best case scenario for a while now. And that's that's no way to, no way to make this something people like. And I, I imagine they would hope that people would like these things and it's... They're not doing a good job of that in the slightest. Well, and the other thing, too, sort of building off of what you were just talking about is Marvel's not embarrassed to have a little bit of egg on their face. Like, like they didn't pretend that the Amazing Spider-Man movies never existed when they did No Way Home. They brought Garfield on, like, let him do, like, kind of a redemption for his version of the character, like, fully incorporated, like, two of his villains, like... They're not writing off their mistakes. Like Avengers Endgame spends a shocking amount of time, like in the continuity in of Thor: The Dark World, World. Yeah. exactly. Whereas I think the DC ones, they sometimes feel like they're, and part of it is because they started on that very self-serious tone, but they they, yeah. they are they feel a little embarrassed. And I think some of their biggest successes are stuff like when you get James Gunn to come in and do it and like, you know, he can do a scene in Peacemaker where like the Justice League shows up, but you can like make fun of them. And I think you'll be able to make those characters a bit more endearing to audiences if they don't feel like they're just so like self-righteous and pompous. And I think, you know, 
people like the Ben Affleck version of Batman, but I don't think he ever got away from that stigma of, oh, this is the Batman that like murders people all the time. Like yeah. they need, they need to find a way to sort of take what they've already got, you know, replace the people they want to replace. That's fine. But like, it, it needs, to, it needs to have a clear, coherent vision. It can't all be reactionary. Yeah. I think as we sort of wrap up, we've been going long again. I guess we just go long now. Welcome to the two hour podcast. We do every week. Um, Flash was a good opportunity to do that, right? Reset whatever you want to reset. Everyone's in it. We can we can say goodbye to some things. We can do something new. But even the old guard who, who set that up didn't have the courage of their convictions, right? It took forever to get off the ground. They never really fully knew what they wanted to do with it. And now a whole new set of people have a essentially completed movie that they have to mess with now as much as they, they deem fit while – not really necessarily wanting to go in the direction that movie's taking them in. And that movie's entire purpose was to take them in a new direction. Yeah. So like, what are we doing here if that's not what that movie's doing? Cause my understanding is at this point, they're so in the hole with it that like, they can't afford to not release it, but like, no, and, and this like Batgirl thing is a tax write off. Like, like don't, don't mistake these like, Oh, rumors of it. It's terrible. Like, once upon a time, the rumors were it was testing well. So, like, you know, test screenings are, are test screenings. This was their rare opportunity in this, with the takeover and with the time of the year, to take a tax write-off, right? They're not going to be able to do that all the time. And they're not going to delay a movie to try to take another one. And there's limits to what they can do with it. So, And also, they, they have to know on some level that, like the bad will that they create both with audiences and with creators. Like it's not, that's not a move that they can go back to over and over again, just because at a certain point, nobody's going to want to work with them. Well, think about all the, all the, the Superman projects that they're talking about, right? Who knows what's in in development? Like the, there's a JJ Abrams, right? There's a Ta-Nehisi Coates one. Like at a certain point, they're going to walk away and go, I don't want to do this. And it's going to be all the harder to make the Superman movie that they want to, bring out like you hear these like kernels of okay news like oh we think our dc superheroes should be cinematic and that's why we don't really care about like batgirl and hbo max and the fate of like the peacemakers and stuff of the world are are in limbo even though i think james Gunn claims he's okay right now and that there's nothing necessarily wrong with that right okay if that's your if that's your plan that's your plan but you you have to figure out a better way to put your plan into motion as opposed to well let's piss everyone off in the process because like Who's happy about this this news? Except like the worst people on the internet who just don't want a woman. Let they barely want a woman playing Batgirl, but they certainly don't want someone who's not a white woman. So like, unless that's your new audience, and I didn't know that like that's what Warner Brothers Discovery is about, and I don't think that's what they're about. Like, why? I that's the thing. It's just it's such a bungling of like coming on board a new thing. No, exactly. Well, and it just, again, it creates that perception of just like flailing around. And it's the same as, you know, a year or two back when they announced that all of the 2021 movies were going to HBO Max without like consulting the people that made those movies and like seeing like in Legendary's case, whether they even legally were able to do that. I mean, it yeah, like it worked the out. The idea wasn't necessarily bad, but like the execution was awful. Well, and that's just it. And, you know, it worked out the way it's did. And some of those movies did better than others 
for having that option. But like Dune didn't hurt at the box office. No, exactly. But like at the same time, they lost Christopher Nolan as a result of that. Like, oh, no, he is he is cackling. I don't know. I I was about to say, I don't know if he drinks. I know he drinks. I, I was at an event where he was drinking years ago. Like he popped a bottle of champagne when this happened. Right. And was like, ha ha. I don't know that he's vindictive like that, but I don't know anything about him in person. But I do Actually, think he—he he de- regardless, he definitely he saw what way the wind was blowing, and he got out while the getting was good. Yeah. Also, I think he's one of those guys who doesn't have a cell phone, so he might not even have—he might even know about this. Yeah, yeah. Somebody sent him an email. I, yeah, I think no. His, I believe, if I recall, he's somewhat of a luddite. I think like his wife, you know, his producing partner, his wife, is the one. Like you can't you you call her. Or you text her and, you know, she hands the phone to him kind of thing. So, like, right. I'm sure she's involved and found out. And he was like, oh, eh, fuck. Like, I don't know how we could. Po- I'm sure he was like, oh, what a shame. He's like, no, <laughs> I, I t- probably told them this was going to happen. Like, all your because this wasn't in the cards. Like, the, the merger part of it is also just like Warner Brothers was having problems. They, if they were a su- super strong, dominant force, they wouldn't be merging with Discovery. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I mean, I still don't understand how like Discovery is like this big selling point. I mean, they had their to the point where they're getting rid of the HBO Max app. Well, and like the one thing everyone likes, and they're like putting out these like super misogynistic like, oh, this is male skewing, this is female skewing. Fuck off. People like what they like. Like, don't try and don't try and put out those like dated like you know stereotypes like, oh, well, a woman would only want to watch a reality show or you know ninety day fiance universe or whatever they're fucking doing. But like, no, that's fucking bullshit. Like we we did that one spinoff, that one sequel. Sex in the City, so HBO Max is for women. Like I, I don't follow. No, none of <laughs> I it. I don't know what you're getting at. It also shows a fundamental misunderstanding of what they have and the potential value yeah. of what they have. Which again is why, even if you, even if you're committed to, oh, you know, you know, DC movies are only going to be big cinematic events going forward. Okay, that's fine. You're within your rights to do that, and it's not a terrible idea. Still, put out a movie that's fucking almost finished you know if only as as a measure of goodwill to the artists involved because they put out that letter and it's like oh you know this isn't a knock on them you know we'd love to work with them again in the future they're not gonna fucking work with you in the future no. not after this bullshit they also, with this idea of like oh well if we're gonna put out in the theater besides spending money to advertise it we have to we would have to do all these reshoots to make it cinematic like no why don't you just figure out okay it's a 90 million dollar movie right now okay if we spent nothing and just told you when it was coming out and commissioned a trailer, that would it would gross what at worst? If it was an absolute disaster, fifty million dollars, right? We'd have an okay opening and would crumble the second week, right? So you're you're already half your money is made there. And if people support it, it it could have made money. Like this idea of like there's no chance it was gonna make money or if it loses money, it's still a, a write down. Like you can take a loss on films. Like I, it was, it's such a craven. We can make more money this way, without any thought to like the long term creative force. I think, I think they have, and we should probably wrap up because we're just going to be mad for the rest of this if we keep going. But yeah. like, they just assume that they're going to be one of the games in town, right? There's only a certain number of places where you can get your movie financed. So if we think you can make money. We will do it. And I think we talked about it last week with that Clint Eastwood quote of like, oh, why do we make Clint Eastwood movies? Oh, well, you know, he made us a lot of money over the years and we feel like we should maintain our relationship and we're 
indebted to him in some way. And he was like, oh, we're in the we're in like the movie business, not the friend business. Like, sure, there's something possibly to be said for that. But like it shows a fundamental misunderstanding of you develop relationships because they will benefit you in the future. Yeah. I well, mean, and it's, also it's just like Eastwood will be dead in the next 10 years. And that's just my calculus. Yeah. It also just shows you're not dealing with a human being also. Well, and also he's quoting Jerry Maguire there, but specifically he's quoting the villain from Jerry Maguire. So (laughs) he's, yeah, again, fundamental misunderstandings. So stay tuned for more anger at that. But let's let's wrap up, um, say where you can be followed and um, give me a, if you, if you did get this job, right, I, I, he's fired, you're in. What's the first thing you would greenlight to fix this? And don't say Batgirl because everyone's going to just fix Batgirl. What's the first like next thing? Okay, yeah. Um, well, you can follow me on both Twitter and Letterboxd at Miles on Film. That's M Y L E S on Film. Please check out my short films, American Exorcist and Once Upon a Dracula. They're both on YouTube under Aftershock Pictures and Chase Capo, respectively. You can find my writing on both Awards Radar and Looper. And uh, so not counting Batgirl, um, I think the first thing I would do is like get out of talks about it and like properly greenlight a new Superman movie. You can do it as a soft reboot and keep Henry Cavill, but I think he's one of their biggest characters and it's kind of embarrassing that they clearly have no idea what to do with him. And I think, you know, greenlighting like a really awesome looking Superman movie And, like, I think keep Cavill because then you sort of – it's a way of sort of reinstating some goodwill and some faith towards that version of things. We don't need to bring back the Snyderverse. I think that's a stupid idea and it's never going to happen. But I do think – Matthew Vaughn, just to throw a name out there. But, you know, someone like that who, like, it's an action director who's got some experience with things like this but can also bring their own vision to it. So not just somebody who's copying what Snyder's doing or did – but somebody who like has a vision and a story to tell with this character and like can find a way to make him cinematic in a way that they just kind of don't know how to do yet. Sure. Uh, you can follow me at Joey Magidson, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, all that stuff. Uh, Awards Radar is on several things. We're approaching, uh, we're about a month away from our two year anniversary. So there you go. Um, I will um, say I would have, I, I would, that one of my two choices was going to be Superman. I will counter your Matthew Vaughn with uh, George Miller. Oh, that would be great. I don't know. Well, it's be I don't know if he would expensive. be into it, but I would love that. He was like vaguely, I don't know what the circle, because you remember at one point he was going to do Man of Steel 2, but they never made well, it clear whether it was, I don't know how he was interested was. or they were like, would you do it? Like, I would, I would commit to this in the same way that, remember how like Titanic was a massive, just like, okay, we're just going to keep sinking money into this until it's done. Hope that it can make our money back. This would be what I would do. Okay, we're going to make, like, the epitome of a giant, like, epic Superman movie. Whatever it takes, George, go do it. Like, blank check, essentially. Yeah. And if it doesn't work, you have all this goodwill because it's a movie everyone wants to see. No. My other option. All right, I think that's great. The only, the only thing I would say about the George Miller thing is keep in mind, he was, like, right up to about to start shooting that one Justice League decades ago. And I think that would definitely color how eager he would be to jump into anything superhero. Well, I think it related. might even be the way you might be able to get him is like you could finally do the movie, but a better version. 
Well, but um, he was going to do a version. full Justice League movie with a very different cast, some of whom you yeah. could not bring back. Uh, so well, I, I think, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. It, it would be interesting. I mean, there's other answers. I, I would be just as interested to see, like, you know, let, let Aronofsky go, run wild. He was kind of interested in, in Man of Steel at one point. So there's there's that. My other option is uh, a third Suicide Squad. Just commit to James Gunn being able to play in this in this field. Oh, I would love that. One uh, yeah. one that has like a proper opportunity to like compete at the box office during non-pandemic situation. Yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah. And just be like, "Okay, we make R-rated superhero movies sometimes, and this is one of them, and we're committed to it, and this is a vision we support." So that would be my move. Um let us know what you guys would do, and uh, we'll be back next week potentially with episode 100. I would say more than likely that's what it is. But if we if we have a 99.5 or something like that, there's also an Emmy special I believe is coming soon that Steve and the TV guys did, TV guys and gals. So I don't know where we're going to fit that in. But in the weeks to come, within the next week or two, you will have episode 100 potentially with some guests. And then it will be time to talk festivals. So stay tuned there. Until then... Uh, stay safe, see you at the movies, and uh, if you're one of the few people who don't have COVID yet, keep it that way. Uh, take care. Bye, y'all. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe and to visit awardsradar.com for the best in awards and entertainment content.